action. Welcome to Torn Stumps, the trash movie podcast with me, Robert Gershenson, photographer and creative director of Trash, which could be found at movetotrash.co.uk and Joshua Winning, the greatest film critic you've never heard of. And we're going to the movies. It's our 37th episode, so to celebrate, we are having a Kevin Smith special. We have watched all 12 of Kevin Smith's films as director. So back in the day, I was a massive comics kid and I still am. And I used to go to school in Camden and me and my friend used to go from school and down to the comic shop to see what the new books were every Thursday. And one day he said to me, there is this film and it's called Clerks. It's this shitty little black and white film. You have to see it. So I rented it from Blockbuster Video. This must have been like 96, 97. You're so old, Rob. (laughs) We're both so old. Yeah, you're like what? six months younger than me (laughs) so I rented it and I put it on and I just didn't get it it just didn't speak to me I didn't like it I found it boring but there was something there there was there was something there there was like enough of something for me to go maybe I should watch this again so I did but I didn't like it a little bit less than the time before That's a ringing recommendation. <laughs> but it so, was, you, so you rewatched it very quickly after you'd first seen it. Yeah, because you, you, it was only like a three-day rental back in the day. Oh, okay. Something like, you know, 2 95 or whatever. So in that rental period, I must have watched it maybe four times. And by the fourth time, I was loving it. I, it hooked me. I got it. I understood what this film was doing. I understood what this, this filmmaker, even though at the time I didn't really know about filmmakers. To me, a filmmaker was... Steven Spielberg. That was or the Stanley Kubrick. Thing. Well, I wasn't. I wasn't into Kubrick by then. Whoa, this is pre-Kubrick. This is. I wasn't even into films then. Whoa, okay. So this was, just this like was comic book. Yeah, this was comic books, and and it was the first time that I'd seen the 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 idea of comic books represented in a movie. Uh-huh. I, you know, we'd had Batman '66 and we'd had Batman '89, but they were movies that just so happened to have some comic book characters, but it wasn't like the vibe of a comic book. Mm. It wasn't people talking about pop culture stuff, which is what me and my friend used to do. We used to walk from school, like I said, to that comic shop, and it's like a 20-minute walk, and we'd constantly be riffing back and forth and quizzing each other on pop culture. I would say to him, who would win in a fight, Nightwing or Spider-Man? And then we'd like debate which of Nightwing's powers he didn't have any powers, he's like Batman, which of his skills would, def- would be able to defeat Spider-Man or vice versa. Mm-hmm. So, so I was finally seeing my friendship group up there on the screen. Yeah. You never saw this film until mm. now. You didn't see any of these Kevin Smith films. No, I watched, I've seen, I had seen Zack and Mary make a porno. Right. Um, randomly, I think for some reason that just, I, I saw that when it came out. But everything else... I hadn't seen a single one of them. Of, you know, I'd seen one of one of the twelve films. Well, for me, this film opened up. It, it, it linked comics and films. So suddenly, I was able to jump across that bridge and discover this whole other world that I was um, sort of oblivious to. So I started watching John Landis and um, John Carpenter, and eventually Stanley Kubrick and David Lynch. So. It's Kevin Smith's fault <laughs> that I got into films, which then led to photography, which has led to podcasting. Yeah. So it's all his fault. 
But I'm always interested to know when people first watch Clerks now, what do they think? What did you think when you put it on? I loved it. I think it's possibly my favourite of his films. Oh, wow. Yeah, I really, I was shocked at how much I really enjoyed it. And it's like, it's a film that has always been on my to-watch list. Um, It's obviously a huge cult kind of indie rite of passage, I think, to watch Clerks. And it's it's kind of like a film that my, the magazine that I write for, Total Film, like championed hugely when it came out. Um, And I've always felt really bad that I've never watched it. And I've always wanted to. But it's never really, I've always just been like, oh, it's like about two guys working in a convenience store. Like, how good can this actually be? But it's more than that. Well, that's exactly it. So when I watched it, I was like, this is an amazing kind of sketch show, like a series of Saturday Night Live style sketches, like observing the ridiculousness of working at a convenience store in small town America. That's exactly it. It is, of, of all his films, it is the one that feels less than a film. It doesn't yeah, feel it, like a film. It feels like absolutely, yeah. sketches strung together somehow with like the loosest of of plots. And they're, they're barely... I mean, there really isn't a plot to think of. Mm. It's more of a... If anything, it's a, a, a character piece, like an observation. Yeah, like the, the, most, the most plot it has is what is the fact that Dante can't seem to keep it in his pants and he's kind of messing around all these girls and he's like really indecisive and doesn't know what he wants from a relationship or if he even should be in a relationship yeah um and i love i love the skits i love the, the fact that boom it, it it you know you have this this intro where it is like indie 101 plonk the camera down mm. have him fall out the closet conversation on the phone you can't see who it is then a bit of a montage with the titles and then boom straight into julie's gum representative yeah which on its yeah. own is an a self-contained short film it's that is really a, funny that is a perfect short film just that section that you would see in a festival and that would get the 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 attention of that that director would get attention off that short yeah. film and you've got loads of festival love for clerks mm. and it's weird because so coming at this film not having seen any kevin smith film kevin smith films really and not really knowing much about him other than that he's kind of like the king of the nerds like he loves comic books and he loves nerd culture and um, which is great but then coming to watch clerks i was like this feels like woody allen oh like, really this feels like the hue like the quick clever humor of woody allen so when i watched clerks i was like oh okay i'm quite excited actually because i i like that kind of humor i think it's great and then that's like the rest of kevin smith films are nothing like clerks i would say in terms of like that extremely tight, uh, self-contained kind of humour, everything else feels really baggy compared to Clerks because Clerks is so tight and so specific and so focused um, that everything else he's done, I think, has, has just feels completely different and nowhere near as, as tight as that. I think there are, there are flashes of, of, of amazingness to come. I don't think Clerks is his best film. I think his, his best film is later on. Okay. In my, we'll come to that. Yeah, in my humble opinion. But Clerks is definitely, in terms of calling cards, it's amazing. Oh, God. It's like, no wonder everyone went crazy over him. Yeah, it speaks completely to Generation X. Yeah, it does. It's like the Which I've always generation. felt a part of. Right. Yeah, slackers, exactly. Yeah, and it, it's kind of like the, the frat boy humour, and it's, it's kind of looking at guys 
um, stuck in kind of arrested development, which is a theme that runs throughout all of Kevin Smith's films. Yeah. Which is like men not growing up, basically. Yeah. So Chew These Gum goes on to um, ordering porn tapes with the kids there, with Randall. I'm talking about the skits here. Yeah. And then there's the Star Wars conversation, the, the Death brilliant. Star contractors, which brilliant. is, which is, yeah. And then I don't know if, I don't know if JJ or whoever put this in, but in Force Awakens, Finn works as oh. part of like the, 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 the toilet team or the, the latrines, I think it's called. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so he's, so it's he's, like Kevin Smith has fed back into this culture that he loves. So yeah. Much. The snake is beginning to eat yeah, itself. Yeah. Um, you're not allowed to rent here anymore. Uh, the customers which piss you off, milkmaids. Milkmaid, brilliant. I loved it. That's his mum. Is it? Yeah, that's great. Amazing. Um, the old Jewish man needing a no, shit. What the, no, what's terrifying is I'm actually turning into the milkmaid. Are you? Like, I'm like, oh, this bag of kale. Oh, no, it goes off tomorrow. <laughs> oh, there's the one that goes off next week. I'll have that one. I do it with chicken. Always reach for the back of the freezer. Oh, yeah. Uh, the cooler. Yeah. Um, the old Jewish man that needs a shit. Yeah, brilliant. They draw the biggest titties. <laughs> Which um, obviously just speaks straight to you, <laughs> Rob. just speaks straight to me. And then the car journey, you know, the, the broken neck suck a dick story on the way to the funeral. Yeah. Um, I don't remember that at all. Do you remember that? Wait, no, I don't. They're on the way to uh, the funeral service. Oh, yeah. It's all about, yeah. have you it's ever tried to time, suck your own? It's the one time they're not in the store, basically. Yeah, they're in the car. Yeah. But there's another, there's a short, uh, there's a clerk short film called The Flying Car, hmm. which has them stuck in traffic debating what they would do to... Um, <laughs> to get the flying car okay <laughs> uh, which is very similar to that it's like very yeah. back and forth between those two characters um as much as this is a calling card for kevin smith it was just as much a calling card for jason muse yeah for a non-actor it's i think it's testament to smith's skills as as a director as someone who 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 tries to keep the tone consistent and tries to get the performances consistent and get the best out of his cast it's testament to his talent that he's able to take jason muse who is like an unruly kid and turn him into comedy gold yeah yeah he's he's like jason muse just kind of breathes life into every scene he's in because he's just this like He's almost, he's a bit like you actually, Rob. He just like enters a scene and he just like talks <laughs> and, he's, and he's loud and he's just like, he's got his own thing going on and he's just like this kind of crackerjack. And I'm not surprised that he, that those characters, Jay and Silent Bob ended up kind of carrying on through this kind of viewer skew verse, whatever it's called. Yeah. Where it's kind of like, they link a lot of the films together because they're, they're the, the main memorable takeaway i hate that phrase takeaway but they're the main memorable thing i think from clerks is that these two odd characters lingering outside a convenience store and how much of a scene stealer um uh, jay is but they they are the characters that are most easily put into other environments it would be odd if dante and randall are suddenly you know in dogma um fighting (laughs) for 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 the universe yeah but jay and son and bob are are they're enough of this world to be quite commonplace outside a convenience store, but they yeah. are enough not of this world that they can be in every single film. Yeah, that's true. And they just have this kind of like unfixed, un- non-specific kind of environment where they they feel like they could just go anywhere. They could just get on a bus and end up in like New Jersey somewhere or get on a bus and end up in Las Vegas. Or, yeah. You know, you feel like they, they are migrational characters. Well, 
yeah, you say that, but then there's that scene in Jane Son and Bob Strike Back when they they're with the girls and they stop off at another convenience store and they, they you know, they, they can't get comfortable against the glass and they're like, it's just not like home. Yeah, I love that. That was great. Um, there's a sense of world building already at play mm. in Clerks mm. with the different characters who were mentioned from off screen and how they, how they come into play with the characters that do come in. Mm. And it's very John Hughes-like. John Hughes, everything was in Shermer, Illinois. Yeah. And everyone went to the same school. Yeah. But I don't remember there being... I don't remember, like, in Weird Science, them ever referencing any other film. Or if The Breakfast Club ever mentioned something that happened in Pretty in Pink. It was just the same... It was the same town, but I don't remember any characters crisscrossing. No, I don't think they did. And, I, yeah, I think it's kind of on the fans to acknowledge or recognise that they are in the same town. Yeah. Um, but obviously... It totally makes sense that Kevin Smith would do his own kind of cinematic universe, like the KSCU or whatever it is. It's like <laughs> the UV, the Avunus universe. Yeah, 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 that's what it was. And it's it's very. <laughs> Whenever anyone says it, it sounds like they're um, speaking German. The Avunus universe, very John Hughes and very comic book because comic yeah. books have done this for years. Yeah, he was surely the first guy to do it on. In the movies, like it, it's like actually properly to link together films, and kind possibly, of possibly, yeah, and kind of like later on in is it Clerks two when there's kind of like that scene outside the cinema where pretty much all the characters who have been oh no that's the end of James and the Bob uh, Strike Back oh yeah yeah course, yeah it'd have to be that which yeah. is like a that film is a love letter that's to like the, fans. the Avengers that's like yeah yeah that's his Infinity um, War yeah exactly. yeah um, well that's his Avengers Assemble yes. Because that's the first time it's all suddenly happened all in one space. And that was the last film of that block. Yeah, yeah. Clerks at its heart is a love story. But it's a love story between Dante and Randall. It's really a a bromance story. And it's like the first of the bromance stories. It is. Um, We'll go back to that. Because that actually brings up my one issue with Clerks. Which is I really didn't like the portrayal of the women. I felt like almost... Maybe it was the necessity of the plot or the necessity of the fact that these guys are just basically kind of idiots who wouldn't mess women around. But the women in the film come across as kind of like overly emotional, screechy, um, out of control, kind of maniacs, basically. But is that you looking at it in 2018 hashtag woke eyes? Possibly. And I, I, don't, I mean, you've, if you look at kind of America, the American Pie films as well, the female representation in those films is questionable too. Yes. So, but that was almost 20 years ago. Yeah, I know. I know. Not too long after this, only six years after this. Yeah. The first one was 99. So really. So yeah. So five five years years after after this. Yeah. But I just, the end, the, the moment where clerks lost me was when she had sex with a dead guy in the toilet, because that was just far, far too dark. I just thought, (laughs) I just thought, no, that's, I've never questioned it until now, but when I was watching it this time round, I was I was thinking, how would how could she possibly mistake yeah. a, an older gentleman with a different body shape, a different face, yeah. different kind of beard? Yeah, because the women in this film are are not fully formed yeah. thinking individuals. They would go into a, a convenience store bathroom and have sex with a corpse. That's that's the start the stance that this film takes on women. But that that. I think that shows the the immaturity in his world view. Well, had he yeah. been anyway, you know, he'd worked in the convenience store 
in Jersey. Absolutely, He'd gone yeah. up to uh, Vancouver Film School for four months. What what did he know? He had no world experience. He he clearly had no female experience either. Yeah. Because it's just kind of, it is all about the guys and how hilarious and stupid they are. Like the guys don't come across well either, but they... I think they come across as, as just genuine human characters. Yeah, They're exactly. not tropes. Exactly. So yeah. we've all got a friend who is like Randall, who is obnoxious and annoying, but <laughs> at the time, at, you know, the right moments completely serious and heartfelt and loyal yeah. and there is and we all have a friend like dante who is a, a fucking whinger <laughs> needs pushing to you know to to get his get his his arse in gear yeah but is kind of sweet and lovable and fuckable yeah I, yeah yeah i loved it i love those two together and jeff anderson there's just something about the way he talks and his, the tone of his voice and he kind of talks in slightly a monotone where he doesn't really go up and down that much until later yeah and it's like he's talking with his back teeth always touching <laughs> like his mouth never opens more than a certain whatever space is but that just great. the jersey accent he Maybe. is brilliant yeah they're both they're both great and i was excited that there was going to be a clerks too um sort of what 10 years 10 years later 12 years set right. 10 years made 12 years yeah it's yeah. insane though that clerks 2 is now 12 years old right yes so where's clerks 3 hey he he has been trying to get it made for the has past he? couple of years. He had to obviously go through the Weinstein Company. Oh yeah, the the name who shall not be named. Yeah. Um, but Jeff Anderson passed. He won. Jeff Anderson passed. Died. No, passed as in uh, didn't he didn't want to do it. it. Yeah. Oh right. Okay. Um, I mean, I can it was see a, why. It was a struggle for him for Smith to get Randall get Randall get Jeff Anderson on board yeah, for Clerks yeah. too because they fell out, didn't they? Yeah, but also I think Jeff Anderson just felt like, let's just leave it. It's mm. like a little gem. Let's not do anything that could potentially fuck it up. Mm. And I just think maybe he felt, where can the story go? They've got, you know, the end of Clerks 2, which we'll come on to, is such a perfect ending. It is. It yeah. brings it completely full circle. It goes back to being black and white. And the milkmaid is there. <laughs> yeah, that was so good. Um was that still his mum? That was still his mum, Grace, <laughs> in a similar tracksuit. Yeah, brilliant. Smith's strength is his dialogue. Yes, I agree. Not necessarily his worldview and not necessarily his um, his treatment of women and also um, sexual politics. But you could close your eyes and you could hear which film is a Smith film or which film is a Coen Brothers film or which film is a, a John Hughes film. Yeah. But if you open your eyes... You couldn't really tell. Maybe with Clerks you can because it's, you know, Clerks. But films like Morats or Chasing Amy, they're very indistinguishable from other um, films of that era. But if you listen, that's mm. where his strength is. Well, yeah, because all the he's, he is similar to the kind of the great dialogue writers of movies, which are like obviously Woody Allen and Quentin Tarantino. And obviously he is friends with Tarantino and it kind of the reason he's great is because he you can hear his voice in everything but that is partly because all the characters just sound like him yeah but all, but all of Quentin strength. Tarantino's characters yeah, exactly. sound like Quentin yeah, yeah. Tarantino except the ones in Jackie Brown and the reason for that is Jackie Brown's based on the book uh, really, yeah, so they are actual characters but the hilarious thing is that the one film that wasn't written by Kevin Smith Cop Out still sounds like Kevin Smith <laughs> I would disagree really yeah because they still threw in all the Batman shit and all the comic book jokes and stuff. That doesn't make it... But that's uh, that's that's just frills. That does, doesn't have the yeah. same rhythm, doesn't have the same characterization, it doesn't have the same flow. Yeah. It's like saying, 
if Woody Allen was given a script and he was just said, oh, just throw in some neurotic Jewish jokes, it wouldn't suddenly become a Woody Allen film. It would be, you know, whoever wrote it, Jude Apatow, if Jude Apatow gave him a script. Yeah. It would still be Jude Apatow. Just happened that Woody Allen is directing it. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Were you disappointed with Mallrats? I have not struggled to watch a film more than I struggled with Mallrats for a long, long time. Really? It took me three or four goes to get through it. What I was really it? really struggled. What was it about it that you didn't it like? Was, it felt like, to me, it felt like a filmmaker who had had lots of a great success with something that was really tight and focused and then kind of trying to figure out how to do a more traditional narrative, flexing his wings a bit and kind of trying to, to kind of tap into that 90s teen thing. And just like, just not getting it right. It was so baggy. Like, it's called Mall Rats. They should be in the mall five minutes in. Yeah. But there's a half an half hour. Half an hour of preamble. Yeah. And as much as, as much as I love Michael Rooker, who plays um, the, the female lead's dad, he is given, he's given such a one, night, one note character yeah. that every time he was on screen, I completely lost concentration to start thinking about other things because he only has one thing to say and he says it for 10 minutes at a, at a go what about, he about five or six <laughs> times like, uh, you're too shit for my daughter uh, you're gonna go to jail blah, 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 blah. I'm Mary like, Poppins yo yeah and he as <laughs> I, I do that. love him as, as an actor but he he sinks this film but and it's not really his fault it's, nah. the, it's the film's fault yeah there, there is a, I mean I saw more rats Back when I was first getting into Smith, so I have a real heartfelt connection to it. I do, mm. I do really like it, and I could, I could watch it because you know when you first watch something, you don't notice the flaws, and then when you can see the flaws later on, you're more forgiving. So yeah. it kind of, it's very reassuring to watch mm. something like Morat. But yeah, there is a, there is a sense of well, Clerks worked, so let's just keep the formula. Let's have two you know, failure to start boys and put them in the mall mm. because I go to the mall <laughs> and I yeah. like Superman and I like the, the cookie stand. So this yeah. could work. Yeah, and it just doesn't. And it kind of made me, it even made me start to kind of not like Jay and Silent Bob because their scenes are the best scenes in the film. Yeah. But everything else around it is so trying and kind of irritating even their stuff, you just kind of start going, oh, is this ever going to end? Because it's just adding more unnecessary stuff into mm. a film full of stuff. But they're very cartoony in this film. Yeah, they are. They were very reasonably edgy yeah. in the first film. It was a bit jarring, actually, to see them suddenly going into, we love Batman so much, I've got a grappling hook. Yeah. And even though that is fucking hilarious when they get <laughs> lifted up through you know, yeah. the building. Fly, fatty, fly. Yeah, exactly. That's great. But it it jarred quite a lot actually from them being like drug pushers and clerks yeah. and kind of like gangsters who were always high and like jam into their music and stuff to then suddenly they're... Stoogie boogies. Yeah, it's just yeah. a bit odd. But, I, you know, it, it evens out as the films progress, I think. I think the the shining star of Morats is Jason Lee. The discovery. Oh, yeah. yeah. The discovery of Jason Lee because this was his first film. Was it actually his first ever his film? His first acting film, yeah. He's, he's so good in it and... I was like, my name is Earl. Every time I saw him, I was like, my name is Earl. <laughs> and I didn't realise he was in so many of Kevin Smith's films. Which is films. only roughly about 10 years after this. Yeah. My name is Earl, yeah. So he must have been... Smith discovered him. Yeah, because they were friends, right? No, he was a, 
a skater, like a pro skater, who retired. Really? And then was like, I'm going to give this acting thing a go because I've always wanted to do it. And huh. he, I guess he was a natural at it. And he got called in. I think he got called in for the TS role. The is he, I can yeah. never remember. Is it Jason Jeremy, or is it Jeremy London? Jeremy London, yeah. So he got called in for the Jeremy London film uh, uh, role. And they were like, you're not right for this. Can you read... Can you read as Brody or can you read opposite? And they kept calling him back in a similar way that Harrison Ford got Han Solo because they were like, oh, you're, you're free. Just come in and read with these actors. And then slowly but surely they realized he's he's Brody. Mm. He's great. He's really kind of, he's one of those great actors who can just create the character and fully embody them. And you yeah. feel like, I found Brody really frustrating because he seemed so real. And I was like, for God's sake, just put yourself together. <laughs> but he, he, he embodies this angry non-starter yeah. who is so obnoxious that he can't see past his own obnoxiousness to see just how much of a tit he is. <laughs> but strangely lovable as well. Yeah, he was actually. I liked him. In theory, I liked Jeremy London because I was a big Party of Five fan as a kid. But in this, he was just, he was just bland and and kind of... And also just like, um, why does Michael Rooker hate him so much? Yeah. He's like the blandest, most mom-appropriate boyfriend <laughs> anyone could ever have. Mom-appropriate. Yeah, it just didn't make any sense. He didn't feel, and he still doesn't feel, he feels... He doesn't feel like a Kevin Smith character. He doesn't know, it's true. He feels like... Because he hasn't got enough opinions. He just... Well, he just he doesn't, he doesn't have a, a... There is no character. It's literally... Yeah. I, feel, I feel maybe... Because this, this was a studio picture. This was Universal. Mm. Made in-house at Universal. And maybe it was a case that they said, Jeremy London's a hot new actor because he's just come off a TV show or whatever. But we need him in this film. So he's going to play T.S., and either Jeremy London just didn't get the TS character mm. or it wasn't there on the on the page already because Kevin Smith is so in love with Brody. But yeah. I but maybe it was the studio that just said we need a teen heartthrob type person. Um Jeremy London is top of our list. Yeah. I was more interested in Shannon Doherty being a charmed fan. There we go. I even wrote that down. I was really upset <laughs> that she was in the film for like ten minutes as like a really ballsy, badass female. And then she just suddenly gets with Ben Affleck and just disappears into the distance. I was like, Shannon, you're better than that. Why are you going with smooth, gross, greasy Ben Affleck's character, Shannon? Yeah, he's called Shannon. He's called Shannon. It's like, Shannon, (laughs) stop going for yourself. But I did love Joey Lauren Adams, who is just brilliant. Yeah, and she's great. I mean, we'll come on to her in a bit because of the the next film. Yeah. Um, Do you think the women were treated a bit different? And no. a bit better in more acts or worse. I think it was pretty much a continuation of kind of eccentric, um, slightly manic female archetype, kind of just really frustrating. Like the focus was on on the men and how they were going to get the women, but the women weren't fully formed, interesting characters, especially the girl that TS is in love with. She's just this bland. She's so bland. So bland. And she's so stupid that she doesn't recognise her boyfriend's voice when they're doing this dating thing. Yes. And that's another thing I didn't recognise until this time around. (laughs) I was thinking, how dumb do you have to be? And if I was TS, I'd be like, I don't want you. You don't even recognise my voice. (laughs) You don't know me. (laughs) Uh, Did you notice uh, an extra bit of world building in this film? Tell me. So the opening conversation when... 
um, Tias pulls up outside um, Thingy's house and she's like, did you hear about Julie Dwyer? She died in the swimming pool last night. Uh-huh. That was, that's the girl whose funeral they went to in clerks. Oh. And then Suitor number three was played by yes. Brian O'Halloran. Yes. And that's Gil Hicks. That's the cousin of Dante Hicks who works in the quick start. Oh, it all just comes it together. It all starts it's kicking together. It's a beautiful together. little jigsaw. And did you, strangely though, when they go to the flea market bit, which isn't needed because they leave the mall, oh, no. go to the flea market, see the woman with the three nipples. Yeah. But when they're looking around on the tables, TS picks up a, hat, a baseball cap, puts it on, takes it off, sees it, it says clerks across the front, makes a face and puts it back on the table. Huh. Did I you not notice that? No, I do remember that, yeah. It's been, so I've just spent basically two weeks watching these films, so I'm slightly, <laughs> slightly hazy on the specifics. Yeah. <laughs> I did love the little, um, goddammit, Brenda, like, digger Shannon Doherty. What's that, sorry? Well, she played, she played this bitch called Brenda in uh, 90210. And so there's like a little, someone calls her Brenda in the film. Oh, really? You're such oh, a Brenda okay. or something like that. I never yeah. watched 90210. That was more my uh, sister's thing. Yeah, well, you know. That and the babysitter's I make no club. apologies. You make no apologies. Um, Batman looks so young here. Batman, yeah. I liked that. No, hang on. Was that in Chasing Amy when he's... No, it wasn't. It wasn't the opening credits for Morats, a kind of comic book opening credits, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. And he's called... Bat, but, Batman or something. Batman, <laughs> yeah, because yeah. he likes to fuck girls in an uncomfortable uh, place. What? The bag of a Volkswagen? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. They found love in a hopeless place. That is funny. Um, around the same time, sort of more at Days and Confused mm. and uh, Clueless came out. I've never seen Days and Confused or Clueless. <gasps> Are what? they are they very similar to Morats in in tone and sort of that no. kind of get into that? It's trying to tap into that that kind of nine hundred two one zero kind of culture. You know, go hang out in the mall, go see the soccer mom. That kind of Clueless, culture. Clueless is like this fucking razor sharp acerbic kind of teen dynasty kind of thing where it's it's um I think it's based on is it based on Emma by Jane Austen. I, I've never yeah, seen it, so think, I'm not sure. I think it is. But um, yeah, it's like, it's really fucking sharp. The dialogue is, you could cut yourself on it. It's to die for. And the whole thing is just like this perfect tight package that looks at kind of Hollywood brats living in Beverly Hills. It's so good. You have to watch it. It's really funny. But Days and, Days and Confused is kind of like, I think that's, hang on, is that the same That's director? Richard. It, no, it's, Ri- oh, it's, it's Richard oh, yeah, Linklater. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Linklater? Yes. Linklater, yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of more slice of life more realistic kind of down to earth okay but funny um and obviously it's got uh, matthew mcconaughey doing his all right all right all right that's where is that where he came that's where it comes from yeah oh i just uh, see because obviously there's been the the reconnaissance of Uh late where he's suddenly become like the hottest actor on the planet he won an oscar he's done all these really cool roles but before that i just knew he was in a load of you know, romantic comedies. I never knew he came from something like this. Yeah, he came. He came from Days and Confused, and he's got this kind of like, like long blonde surfer hair with like a moustache and like tight jeans and a tight t-shirt, and he looks like smoking hot. And oh. he's like the cool kid in school kind of thing. Okay, I'll have yeah. to check that one out. But Ben Affleck here, I often wonder: Does he look back on his Viewers Universe films, and is he proud of them, or does he look back and think? I used to be someone that was so joyful because whenever he's on mm. like interviews, he's always so careful and so bland about what he says. 
I, I kind of miss hearing him on the Viewness Universe um, audio commentaries or mm. seeing him on um, behind the scenes clips. Yeah. He's become a completely different person. It's, it was refreshing to see him in Kevin Smith's films. Yeah. Because you kind of get lost in this idea of him as Ben Affleck, you know, commodity now. Yeah. Kind of big Hollywood buff man. Uh, making things like um, Gone, Gone Girl, Girl and Batman, Batman and all that stuff. And it's and like... Live by Night. Yeah, and you forget... Oh, I didn't actually know that he was even in Kevin Smith's films, actually. Because oh, that's where he came from. Yeah, I had no Smith idea. discovered him, I guess. Right. Yeah, so, yeah I mean, that's what's, that's the another big thread that runs through the films is Kevin Smith having the ability to find kind of the perfect yeah. person for the for the role kind of thing and discovering these people. But also but, his, you know, the casting agents and that and the other. I'm sure they helped. But yeah. yeah, he's going out on the streets going, <laughs> you, what's your name? Ben Affleck. All right, you're in my film. Um, yeah, Ben Affleck was great. And even when he was in that awful, awful film, Jersey Girl, he still felt, well, that was kind of his slide into into the into the sludge wasn't it because that was a year it's, after jiggly or whatever it's called yes yeah, time when he was beginning to disappear before but he came back then, with that superman that that super yeah. he, he, he did the superman film but it wasn't the superman it was based on the guy who oh, played yeah. superman yeah he did i can't remember what that film was called though i can't remember what it's called, um either. but that was kind of his his return yeah. was the contrast between morats and chasing amy a shock to you yes massively because after more rats i was really dreading having to watch 10 more kevin smith films <laughs> i was just like oh god what have i let myself in for and then chasing amy came on i just couldn't believe it was it was the same director it was almost like he'd gone on a on a class or he'd he'd been scrubbing up on watching you know other films and and it was like two different filmmakers it, he just suddenly had this perfect control over the subject matter he knew exactly what he was doing from the first word of the script from the first shot he felt comfortable in this in this world that he was um, that he'd created and it was yeah i don't think there's been any greater shock between two films than than between more rats and chasing amy and between red state and tusk <laughs> oh no i would say between cop out and red state oh yeah that's true actually no yeah, yeah. you're right i mean those three form a very weird daisy chain but um, yeah, but yeah, chasing Amy. I the first half I absolutely loved. I thought it was so interesting. So I, up until what point? Up until she says that she's in love with Ben Affleck's character. Right in the rain, that scene. Yeah, yeah. I just thought, oh god. So even she's gonna fall for Ben Affleck, and it just didn't. But I, it, remember, at the time, he wasn't Ben Affleck. He was no, just Ben Affleck. Yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't the Affleck. He was just yeah. a jobbing actor who, but I think who was, I was doing well in the indie world. I think I was disappointed because Chasing Amy, for me, I'd never seen it and I'd always wanted to. And it always been presented to me as this kind of really um, progressive gay film about that kind of that was very progressive in its portrayal of a lesbian and, and sexual liberation and all this kind of stuff. And although that is not necessarily untrue, I was disappointed that she, the character of Amy, oh, sorry, it's not Amy, the character of, um, oh God, what's her name? I always think she's called Amy. Alyssa. Alyssa, yeah. yes. So I was just disappointed that she ended up not being fully lesbian, which I know is not woke either. Alexa? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know that. <laughs> Alexa's trying to get in on the conversation. What is it you said to her? I said Alyssa and she thought I said Alexa. Oh. Yeah. Um, so, 
scepter is usually defined as a brief but vigorous fight. Alexa, shush. How do we turn her off? Just unplug her from the wall. <sighs> this is not woke at all. Pl- unplugging Alexa. No, Dave. Don't do it, Dave. <laughs> Daisy. Daisy. It is ter- glows red as well. It is like terrifying how. when she glows red. I'm like, what have I done, Alexa? <laughs> um, I think it's way more progressive than people actually give it credit for. If you look at it through 2018, hashtag woke eyes, this isn't a film about a lesbian falling in love with a man, a straight, cisgendered, white American man. This is a story of a girl whose sexuality is fluid. Mm. She's pansexual. And she just so happens that she has been in many relationships and she's very entrenched in the lesbian world. She goes to that bar. She's part of a a lesbian band. She writes um, uh, idiosyncrasic. I can never say that word. (laughs) That's her comic book. And it's clearly about the lesbian story. It's, I think it's other people putting that lesbian label on her mm. when she actually feels some guy, sometimes she's with a guy, sometimes she's with a woman. You know, yeah. she, let the, she let those two high school guys finger cuff her and then later on in life she's sleeping with women. I agree, but I think there's some troubling stuff that goes on in her character. Yes, it's great that she's kind of sexually liberated and she has kind of explored her sexuality and everything and that's great and i think that sexual fluidity is like you know clearly it's a thing and it's something that we that people should never be ashamed of and it definitely exists and all of that good stuff but sometimes i think can a lesbian just please be a lesbian like can they not just be that Mm. um and i was upset that this film wasn't actually the kind of broke back mountain for lesbians that i had been built up to believe it was going to be and then also, she is portrayed as kind of slightly ashamed of her past. Like she doesn't just offer this information up willingly. She has to be ratted out, in inverted commas, by other people. But why would she say, hey, I've had a big sexual past. Have you sat your boyfriend down and told him everything <laughs> that you've done up until this point? I've told him a fair few things. But did you, say that to, did you tell that to him because you thought, he best hear this from me, or it just came off in general conversation? Did you feel the we pressure? Just, no, I didn't feel pressure at all. We just generally talked about that stuff together. Yeah. But there's no reason why so, she would have to say to him, "Hey, look, in 1987, two guys did this to me." No, I know you're. No, you're absolutely right. But the way that it played out, I felt uncomfortable. I don't know. It just it did feel slightly like she was withholding information because there were moments where he'd said something like, or he'd implied that he was her first man, and she kind of just let him have it, right? Maybe, but I know that. that, I know that, that does that necessarily mean she's ashamed of? her past or she just wants to him to have that moment yeah maybe him to have that opinion yeah i guess so yeah because i never thought that i've never thought she was ashamed i've always seen her as quite a positive uh role model for for anyone who's either a struggling with their sexuality mm. especially with with female um with with lesbian sexuality but also anyone who just enjoys sex unashamedly Mm. there's always such stigma and such shame around you like sex or slut shaming that's well with women especially there's that especially with women with women and gay men well there's still slut there's still a massive amount of slut shaming in the gay community i've got friends who if you know if they see that i've got grinder on my phone Mm. they look at me like 
why are you on that, you slut? I'm but like, because I'm single and, you know, occasionally I might want a takeaway. <laughs> what was your what... biggest takeaway from this? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think at the time it was such a big thing saying, oh, all Kevin Smith is saying is that all lesbians need is a good dicking. Mm. I think because there wasn't such a, a public consciousness about um, pansexuality and sexual uh, sexuality fluidness. Yeah, um, fluidity. If, if that, if those concepts were more prevalent, then it's actually a really um, forward-thinking, groundbreaking film. Oh, gotcha! And like that definitely is reflected in its kind of legacy, where people still talk about chasing Amy. Yeah. Um, and I, I generally, I really, really loved this film. I really enjoyed it. Um, and actually talking to you about it makes me feel like I want to go revisit it because maybe I wasn't being entirely woke. Maybe I was too hung up on the fact that I wanted her to be a lesbian and she wasn't. And, that, you know, that's fine as well. Yeah. Um, so I, I think I, of all his films, I think this is one I would definitely rewatch. Oh, that's really um, good to hear. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's a good one. But it is definitely a, um, a big step up in his, God, yeah. in his talent as a, not just a writer, but a storyteller. Because... Yeah. This is the first film that he's made. I know it's only three films in, but this is the first film that he's made where it feels like a film. Yeah. And even though there are set pieces, like the, the opening, you're a tracer set mm. piece at the Comic-Con, uh, Black Rage, Black Rage, yeah. what's a Nubian? That's a cool set piece. Alyssa it. singing and yeah. him thinking she's singing to Ben Affleck, but she's not. She's singing to the blonde that's behind and then in front. Mm. Uh, there's the Jaws... Uh, scar scene but the sexual scars oh yeah yeah so yeah. it's just like Jaws uh, the I love you in the rain scene the the bit with uh, Cody Thingy outside um, the quick stop where he's talking about how she got the name of finger cuffs yeah then there's the hockey reveal where he's like she's like I let him fuck me in the ass and I blew him and the guy next to him was like oh, even yeah. I knew what she was talking about. <laughs> uh, then there's Silent Bob's story, which is gorgeously presented, yeah, yeah. Um, and then the the scene at the end where we should fuck scene. Yeah. So they've all these set pieces. Yeah. You know they're not. It's not an action film, but there are set pieces, and you could say they're skits, but they're not. They are fully fledged scenes that are linked together by a very strong narrative. And I think mm. that's the strength. That's, that's, that's the overriding strength of this film. Yeah, I completely agree. And I, the thing is, I think Clerks visually had, had a very strong um, kind of feel to it. And it, it didn't feel like kind of a, a, an amateur first effort at a film. Like no. It, it looks like a great, it's a well shot film and, and more rats is kind of okay, but it is just baggy and it is kind of all over the place. And then chasing Amy is is just like put together so well, and it's every more everything to counts, clerks, isn't everything it? Counts. Yeah, it is. It's like, almost like Morats was this kind of little blip, like a like a little brain fart. I think that's yeah. Morats is 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 like um, a screaming example that Smith doesn't work well in that kind of studio environment. Right. Miramax obviously is a studio or was back in the day a studio because it was funded by Disney money, but they didn't operate creatively or it may be business sense in the same way and culturally the same way as say like Warner Brothers or Universal but there are very 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 strong links visually between Clerks and Chasing Amy yeah. and it is literally plonk the camera down but have everything against a, a flat mm. plane and it is very oh, I can't remember the name of the film 
Stranger Than Paradise by Jermash, oh, right. uh, uh-huh. um, where you put the camera down, everything happens in the frame. Yeah. There's not much movement. Yeah. Um, but even like the, the almost cartoony cutaways, you know, <laughs> yeah, in yeah. clerks like, oh, Navy SEALs. Yeah. Or in... in um, or the cat in the litter box, which the cat is so the, yeah. funny. <laughs> <laughs> they, they stopped him taking the shit for like a day and a half oh just God. so he could <laughs> shit on cue. <Q>. Poor cat. <laughs> um, cat but cruelty. Al- but also cutting to... Like that Jaws scene probably would have been a bit tiresome had he not cut to some black and white reconstructions, flashbacks. Yeah. yeah. So there is a visualness at play. He's just not a visual director in the sense of David Lynch or Stanley Kubrick or even Steven Spielberg. He has, he does have a style. Maybe he just doesn't, maybe he's not able to fully vocalize what his style is, but there is Mm. definitely, there is definitely links there between Clerks and Chasing Amy. Yeah. And then by the time you get to kind of Zach and Miri and Cop Out, they just, they have this polish to them. Yeah. That, that you would want from any kind of, director working in yeah. within that it's very environment. well it's polished enough that it, it you can see how he's learned how to make films like it's very economical and it, it just kind of it just tells the story yeah do you think there's a difference between um banky edwards in chasing amy that's jason lee's character mm. do you think there's a difference between banky edwards and Morat's uh brody bruce oh god because they're both, they're both very angry and they're both yeah. obnoxious. They're very similar, aren't they? But at the end, when it, of chasing Amy, when he kind of says, "Yeah, he'll do it," that's the difference, I guess, isn't it? That he's open to to progressing as a human being or experiencing, or re- or maybe or, revealing what's beneath. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Quite literally. Yeah, I think they are. They 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 evolve differently. But they are essentially the same character. I I think that Banky is a quieter, more cerebral performance than oh yeah no that's true actually than Brody yeah and yeah. I think that's that's testament to a the writing because mm. it, it for the first time it's a fully formed character. He's not a sketch character. Yeah. This is not Jordan and Peel. This is suddenly Jordan on Get Out. Yeah, if I can. I can use such a modern mm, vernacular exactly. but yeah. yeah it's a fully formed character so Lee has all these different layers and nuances to play with and he, he yeah. does it exceptionally well I love watching uh, Jason Lee in, in Chasing Amy but I he's, love it he's an interesting character because he is essentially this kind of mouthpiece for um, everyday homophobic language yeah. So he's calling everyone a faggot and she's a fucking lesbian dyke, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Which is just like absolutely not okay. And that's that's possibly the most surprising thing, I think, about Kevin Smith's films is that going into them, having an idea of him as kind of like comic book nerd, um, kind of hockey loving, one of the guys kind of guy. I really didn't expect him to be quite this progressive and, and kind of open-minded and actually wanting to engage in discussions around sexual identity and sexuality even though it as far I don't know this but from what I can tell he doesn't necessarily have first-hand experience or he's I mean he's not gay himself is he no but his brother is ah so that's why he's yeah. having these discussions and one of the reasons he said he made chasing Amy yeah. a 
I guess he he wanted to exercise some um, anxiety and and feelings and and world experience he had with his relationship with um, Jerry Lo- Lauren Adams, mm. who everything is based on. He was he couldn't yeah. get over her sexual past, but also yeah. his brother said, "I never see." A, a, a gay film that speaks to me mm. up on the, on the screen. Wow, so, like Kevin Smith's a bit of all right, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> no, he is. No, he is though. Because it's uh, just weird that you you have this opinion of of Smith mm. that's based completely on the kind of the kind of podcast hockey clown comic book guy that he's become in the last ten years or so. Mm. Not the kind of hardcore indie guy that he was before no i've the generation xer because he's more millennial now than yeah. xer no yeah yeah he is and he's he's always been outspoken and he's always kind of said oh you know so and so fucked up superman or you know all that mm. kind of stuff yeah but um but i just i just as a as a gay man i love the fact that in his films he like jay um the character of jay is always using homophobic slang and always um you know saying things are gay and all this kind of stuff but then i just love that there are kind of there are jokes where like i think it's in dogma where he's kind of like he admits to like a little bit joking off to guys on the internet oh no it's like um rufus says you masturbate more than anyone on the planet and jay's like yeah and he's like but sometimes you're thinking of dudes yeah yeah and it's like it's not it's not just lazy sort of script writing it's not just lazy kind of homophobia without any basis to it like yeah kevin smith will always address his own the project the prejudices that he he kind of presents in his own films i think because they're never his own views i don't think it's always kind of if if he's saying something is gay or whatever he doesn't actually think that so even though it's his voice in the characters if someone's being homophobic he's always going to call them on that even though it's like his own character, so I don't know. I don't know. I, no, I, I, I get what you're saying. I think, yeah, it's, it's, he's more, it's more forgiving for the the homophobia that appears in Kevin Smith films than it is in, let's say, something like an Apatow, where mm. they, they, they based an entire improv scene around the, the, the phrase "you're so gay," yeah, which. Yeah, is not true. redeeming at all for any of those characters, and which is why I didn't like that film. That was the forty-year-old mm. virgin, I think, if mm. I remember correctly. Yeah, but at least in Smith's films, he does have a personal connection to yeah. the gay world. His yeah. best friend Malcolm Ingham is gay. His brother is gay, mm. and from what I understand, Joey, La- Joey Lauren Adams is the basis of um, Alyssa. Alyssa. In chasing Amy, not Alexa. Yeah, yeah. And the representation of gay characters is really positive and balanced in this film. You have Hooper X, who, on the panel, is very black exploitation, but in reality, he's very fey. That was one of the best jokes. Yeah. But Banky Edwards, and he's revealed to be gay at the end of Jane and Silent Bob Strike Back. Oh yeah. So he is gay, but he's very, you know so-called straight acting it's mm-hmm. very it is very very balanced mm. yeah affleck in this film i yeah. think this is one of his best roles he's really good he he's obviously in more terms than than, than one the straight man in the film yeah he, the comedy doesn't come from him the comedy comes from his reaction to banky or his reaction to 
James Thunderbolt or Alyssa or Hooper X. He infuses the role with enough earnestness and enough vulnerability that he elevates the the Affleck from just being Affleck to the Affleck. This is for me the beginnings of the Affleck. Yeah, he had real like star quality, and he just kind of aced the role. I think he was just yeah. great in the role. He won an Indie Spirit Award for this script. Hmm. I think it was best indie feature script, um, and I get I guess that gave him the confidence to give an older script he had called Dogma a polish mm. and make that. And I think Dogma is actually his best film. It's definitely different to anything else he had done. And it's kind of just really, a really interesting kind of philosophical, it's like, it's asking a question, isn't it? It's kind of like asking about faith in the modern day. And um, I watched the, I watched an interview with Kevin Smith about this film actually, because I was just like, whoa, what was that? And he kind of, he said that he wasn't trying to make a quote-unquote religious film. He wanted to make a film that celebrated his faith. Yeah. And that's a really interesting di- uh, kind of dif- differentiation, I guess you could say, because obviously the Catholic Church and everything went nuts over this film and yeah. kind of denounced it. Well, it was more and... the Catholic League. Oh, really? Yeah, it was more the Catholic League. It wasn't necessarily the church. I don't, right. think, I don't think the Pope's worrying too. He's <laughs> like, that Kevin Smith movie with yeah. that rubber poop monster. <laughs> One must stop that, or however they talk oh, in Latin. Totally forgot about that monster. But in, in terms of the amount of characters and the amount of time they're given... And the amount of dialogue, because it's the, pure dialogue. Uh, yeah, and, it, and Jay carries it so well. Yeah. Uh, but the amount of characters, the amount of dialogue, the amount of characterization, and the fact that there is a the, the strongest narrative yet, and possibly ever will be in a Kevin Smith film, hmm. this film is firing on all cylinders. This is possibly the peak. This film made me feel a bit stupid. That's the only thing. I I really enjoyed it, and I found their discussions really interesting. But I felt like I was missing out about. 60% of the references. Like I didn't, I didn't get all the references, the references to what to like the, the actual Bible and, and kind of the stories in the Bible. Right. So I felt like I was only getting half of what the film was offering me in some ways. But which, I, which references in particular? Oh God knows. There were just, it was just a lot of talk about characters in the Bible and stuff yeah. like that. And, um, it, you know, it's not a flaw of the film. It's a flaw of me not knowing that stuff. I think, but, well, yeah, but also if a film is entrenched in in something that like the Bible, you would expect the film to m- kind of distill it down to. You would expect the film to distill it in such a way that you won't have needed to have read the Bible because all the information mm. should be there in the script. But I'm I'm just wondering because I've I've I know some Bible stories, but you know I'm Jewish, so I don't mm. know the the sequel i don't know <laughs> i don't know the new testament so a lot of the jesus stuff comes from the new testament right. but i do know that i do know there is 18 years missing or 12 years missing he goes from like oh, yeah, he goes yeah. from 18 to 30 he gets told he's the son of god at 18 yeah, and then yeah. the story picks up aged 13 you know well where's that missing decade so yeah. i i, I kind of i well, knew that actually maybe magic. i knew that from dogma <laughs> Maybe. I think the thing that is starting to become clear with Kevin Smith, that when he's writing from his heart, 
when he's writing a personal story, mm. he is untouchable. Yeah. Clerks, Chasing Amy, Dogma. Yeah, I agree. The difference with Morats is, and some, of, and some of the later films, when he wants to make the film because no one else will make it, mm. when it's written from his head, from a, a place of... Um, a curious place like, oh, what if? Mm. What if we did this? Mm. He's not as successful. When he's saying something personal, clerks, these are my friends, this is my life. Chasing Amy, this is my experience since clerks. Yeah. Dogma, this is my childhood and my, yeah. my opinions on religion and my own struggle with my faith that was, yeah. that was put upon me by my parents. It wasn't my choice. It's gold. Yeah, you're right. I think you're right. Because they are the strongest... Ones like what? Are, what are the later films that are kind of his personal? So I think the the later ones like Jersey the, Girl felt incredibly personal, but it was just bad. Yeah, Jersey Girl is an oddity. Obviously, with Jane, Silent and Bob, the skewed the skewed <laughs> the skewed universe was closed, and yeah. he knew who he was in that world. He knew those characters, and suddenly he's now out doing something new it's almost like jersey girl is the second film mm. yeah and the first five were you know an extended first film in five parts that's 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 his block that's his bread and butter he knows how to do that but when it came to doing jersey girl he had to do something new he didn't know who he was outside of that world well yeah because the the thing is, like, his films follow his... In terms of, like, the ages of the characters, the films follow his age pretty closely. So yeah. it's, like, young clerks and kind of more rats-ish and then chasing Amy, a bit older, doing comic books, dogma, thinking, you know, about things in a certain way. And then Jersey Girl, he's obviously got his daughter by that age, I think. Harley Quinn, is he? Yeah, I think. so this is, like, so a he's love married, to he's married, fatherhood. Yeah. yeah, and, he, like, his dad had passed away, I think, or... His dad passed away after Jersey Girl because he oh, saw... Really? Jersey Girl because the film dedicated, is dedicated to, dad, to Don yeah. yeah so it, Jersey Girl feels like one of his most personal films but it's also one of his worst because it's almost kind of blinded by its own sentiment like he's really really pushing to get a feeling across and then it just gets mired down in really obvious terrible dialogue I think with with I mean we'll, we'll come let's come back to Jersey Girl <laughs> because I, I said I haven't finished talking about Dogma I'm trying to get past Dogma <laughs> because I just didn't understand most of it <laughs> but I think Dogma is um, Alan Rickman's best film he is so good in Dogma it was like this was the role that he was made for hello hello I'm the Metatron <laughs> Harry Potter but he of all Alan Rickman's iconic roles this is the one that, that is, is killer for me yeah. even more than Hans Gruber because he's yeah you're right because he's just kind of he's not what you expect an angel to be like when it comes down to earth he's he's like this really fucking miserable mopey yeah. fucker he's jaded he's been doing the same job for eons yeah, you he would be jaded and then when you find out obviously that well I don't know I was going to say when you find out that he's been working with Anna, a, a mute Alanis Morissette for yeah. years but I actually no it's not because she God appears in different ways to different people he can yeah they he can understand God and he can hear God but yeah. your puny minds and hearts or whatever it is would explode and this that and the other so yeah. it's only us humans that that can't see it um, there's also just while I think of it there is a very clever play in Red State towards the end when they think they're hearing the trumpets of the Lord. Yes. And I was like, fuck, oh my God. Like, actually it could be. Because you, you, by the time you get to Red State, you then have all this knowledge 
of previous Kevin Smith films, and you know that he does universes. And when all these trumpets sound, you're like, oh, fuck. It's just going to be like some weird kind of the apocalyptic sequel to Dogma, and it's going to start a whole new apocalypse thing. But the, the original, The original version of the script did have the rapture. Ah, I actually would have loved that more than what happened... At the end of the film. Yeah, well, Red State. Because it is just, that would just be such a batshit ending. And the, yeah. the film was batshit enough. And it had. It could have. And it, it had portrayed such degradation and such awful humanity that you kind of went, yeah, the only way out is for some deity to come down and just clean up. It would have been cool if Alanis Morissette had replaced <laughs> her role so as God. Hello. <laughs> um, I found it interesting that. Um, that he's that Kevin Smith said that he found it really difficult to work with um, Linda Fiorentino. Yeah, he's, I he's, didn't know that. He, yeah, he said on the commentary for the film. I haven't listened to her, but it's on the internet. Possibly, I think maybe because she wasn't part of the viewers universe team, she didn't have that yeah. shorthand. She just seemed like I don't know. She seemed like a grown up amongst like, kids. Yeah, she just. <laughs> but she is great in this film. She's great. I love her. Like, and she has yeah. this wonderful moment. When God, when when the Metatron tells her she's pregnant, yeah, you just see that that joy and the, like the stress and the anxiety just lift off of her. Mm. That's a lovely moment. Yeah, it's a lovely ending. It's the it's at the end, isn't That's it? That's at the end. Yeah, yeah, it's a lovely kind of hopeful ending. You know, it's kind of like the war is over, and your war within yourself is over, and I don't know. It's almost like a confirmation of faith, in some ways. You know, you are the new Mary kind of thing. Is it selfish for God to fix her, to allow her that's to have a child? That's what I didn't understand. Yeah, that was, that's what I didn't... But I mean, they're related, right? Because she's Jesus's daughter or something. But is it still selfish? Because yeah. there's thousands, millions of other women who, Far worse who shape. can't have children. And well, third world countries, why can't you just go and fix, fix them? But just, just if we're looking at women who are unable to have children because mm. of their you know, ovaries or whatever... Suddenly, Bethany is given the, the chance to have a child. Yeah. But no one else. Why? It's, 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 it's selfish for, for, for God to fix Bethany, but not anyone else. Has just she, because it, it carries on the bloodline for God. But has she had a relationship recently or has she slept with somebody recently? Because it's not necessarily God. It, is, it, is it not that she's kind of um, healed herself in some way? I don't think so. Well, she could have been pregnant anyway, basically. No, it, it, I've always I've always read it, and I think it is read that mm. God fixes Bethany and yeah. gives her the child. But do they actually say that? They don't express... I think it's I think it's heavily implied. Yeah, I don't know. No, it's basically because Anna Rickman no, touches not her stomach, right? <laughs> yeah, but that's because he knows that she's. Yeah, he's not like inserting a, an embryo. No, but I think because she gets like stabbed in the stomach because she's yeah. bleeding from the stomach and then God wax on wax, yeah, on, wax yeah, off yeah. we have the technology we can rebuild you yeah very Matrixy. <laughs> or Karate Kid what is that too it's definitely Smith's most grown up film it this is his colour purple this is this is his shouldn't list <laughs> this no this is his colour purple where he's kind of moving in a certain direction which he then completely kind of Un, not undoes but he completely goes against with Jay and Silent Bob Strike yeah. Back because but, that film is just like a living cartoon whereas Dogma is very much a grown up philosophical study on faith and they could have expanded it more like in yeah. this in this world that we live now where everything has to be an expanded universe everything has to you know 
you have to you have to think about things in phases we could have preceding films in the dogma verse where um we see god creating the heaven and the earth dealing with lucifer lucifer trying to take the throne mm. um loki and uh bartleby laying down the sword and leaving heaven and then maybe another a standalone film where the muse leaves and she's like small girl in the big city yeah all leading up to dogma which kind of feels yeah. like the the last film in phase three yeah but he he did a comic didn't he between he did, he chasing did. dogma he did when it wasn't it wasn't called chasing dogma when it was released oh right it was just called jay and silent bob and it was a four issue miniseries where um they leave the cafe at the end of chasing amy mm-hmm. get on a bus and they just want to go find Sherman, illinois Right. And then get pissed off that it doesn't exist, and then come back to Jersey, yeah, and uh, that's where Dogma picks up. Ah. So it links the films. It was when it was it's reprinted. Sorry, it's going on a bus journey, and that's yeah, and have some fun. It, on but it's way. four issues of fun. Yeah, but um, it's not as goofy as it sounds. It is. Mm. It's in, it's incredibly well written. It's very dialogue heavy. So there's a lot of text on the screen, mm. and it's all black and white. So it's it's pure like indie 1990s comics yeah. put out by a company called Oni Press which were putting all of his comics out at the time but um, it wasn't called Chasing Dogma until they reprinted it as a trade paperback uh, yeah to kind of capitalise on that interest. but also because it, it links yeah, it yeah, does yeah. link the film it's like the it's missing story and the the story of in Clerks when they go into you know they go into the funeral and then it cuts five minutes later and they come running out mm. There's a, a clerk's comic book called The Missing uh, Scene, yeah, yeah. where we see what happens, and yeah. you know, Randall drops his keys in, and this, that, and the other. What I loved is that they, so with the viewer skewerverse, whatever it's called, they, um, Jay and Silent Bob never talk about what happened in previous films, so you could watch them without necessarily knowing that they had just saved the world in Dogma. Yeah, and like with. Um, they are self-contained, I guess, like that. So in Clerks 2 as well, they've had their huge adventure in Hollywood with Jay and Son of Bob Strike Back. <laughs> yeah. And yet they don't talk about it. The only reference you get is that Jay is wearing the Justice, Justice's name on his yeah. hoodie. Like, he's not like, oh my God, we're like big Hollywood stars now, Son and Bob. He never says that. And he never explains why he has all this cash in the bank to give to, uh, what's his face, to buy the Randall store. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's what I love that because it's just like it's a little treat for if you followed these films but you don't have to have followed the films which is why it's different to well, I don't know is it different to Marvel because Marvel I guess so when Marvel's doing yes. it well it doesn't you don't mm. need to have seen the previous ones like Black I mean, Panther you could easily watch without having seen any of the no but then films. Infinity War I think oh god well yeah you couldn't that's possibly a that's a different thing yeah which we're going to talk about on next week's episode Hooray. Um, whilst that may be true of Clerks 2, I don't think it's true of Jane Son and Bob Strike Back, <laughs> which for a first time watcher, if you just saw that on late night TV, you'd be really confused why Ben Affleck is early on in the film playing Holden and then later on playing himself. Yeah. And then why is Jason Lee here playing Brody? Then suddenly he's got a full beard and a hat and he's playing Banky. Yeah. And even the title, like I never watched... Even though I'd seen this poster everywhere when it first came out and seen it in the video shop and all that stuff, I'd never wanted to watch it because I was like, well, it's Strike Back. Like, where's the first one? 
Ah, I never yeah. thought of that. But it does actually stand on its own quite well because it's just a jaunt with these two crazy guys. Yeah, it's it's so. a it's it's quite a, a callback because it's it's quite a cool caper movie. It's great. I actually it's like really the Muppet it. caper movie. Yeah, yeah, it's very Muppety. Yeah, because yeah. it is very it's it's more in tone to Morats. It's very cartoony. Yeah, it is. And Jane and the Bob are more cartoony as well. Yeah, because yeah, it's kind of a, a real. It's like a knowingly ridiculous spoof that's kind of a love letter to everything that's happened in the viewer skewerverse so far. It's one big in-joke. Yeah, and yeah. It's, and, but it's also everything that Kevin Smith loves. So he wrote a scene of him battling Luke Skywalker. He got Don't Carrie Fisher to do a cameo. Jedi Master, son. Yes, Carrie yeah. Fisher was in it. He kind of like, he'd, he'd earned enough Hollywood heft that basically with this film, he's like, I'm just going to fucking do it. And he did everything <laughs> he'd ever wanted to do. He did. And Jay... I think this is the pinnacle for Jay. Yeah. Well, that, you don't see him again after this. And part, oh, no, Clerks too. Clerks too. But after yeah. that, it's Jason Mewes plays different characters. He doesn't play Jay anymore. But just the fact that he carries this movie and he carries it against established Hollywood players <laughs> like <laughs> Carrie Fisher. Yeah. Like George Carlin. Like Eliza Dushku. Yeah. But yeah. people you would think ha- would be pissed off because... They've worked their way up from doing, I guess, you know, like the American, the American actor story. I was in a commercial yeah. for cereal, that kind of shit, up to like, maybe they did some like presenting in a mall on a Saturday and then got an agent. Yeah. He kind of schmeissed his way into the indie world and now he's in what is, I, I think it was like a $10 million studio picture. This was? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's Miramax, Dimension, <laughs> um, and Affleck, but he's really holding it himself. And it, yeah. I think if he hadn't have done Dogma, the maybe mm. the financiers and maybe Kevin Smith wouldn't have had the confidence that he'd be able to do his own movie. He's yeah. the lead. Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. Jason Mewes is the lead actor. Yeah. And it's, the film kind of services that. So the love story is kind of... It's actually really sweet, but it's like... Boo-boo kitty fuck. Yeah, he basically just talks about wanting to, like, fuck her from the first second he lays eyes on her. Yeah. So it's kind of like, it's Jay's version of a rom-com in some ways, isn't it? It's like, yeah, I've never thought about it in that yeah. terms. Because he is very... I mean, it's very juvenile. It's juvenile, but it's grown out of this very specific 90s teen comedy setting. Yeah. So he's going after Nadia from American Pie, and he's in a van with Eliza Dushku and Ali Lato, who are like the big kind of genre heroines of the late 90s, early 2000s. And it's got Jason Biggs from American Pie. It's got James Vanderbeek from Dawson's Dawson's Creek. Creek. And it's got, um, (laughs) it's just kind of like this, it's got this really weird kind of like 90s adoration melting pot thing going on. But not just 90s, 90s stuff that didn't exist when Kevin Smith was starting out. So even though it had only been six or seven years, the teen landscape had changed dramatically. The, yeah. All the stuff that Kevin Smith grew up on or was around at the time. Like Shannon Doherty wasn't a lead in this. She was a, a blip cameo. That scene made me the happiest I've been all year. <laughs> Shannon Doherty doing a scream film with Wes Craven. Fucking Miramax. That a I monkey just, Wes. Oh my God. The test card said people love monkeys. Oh, God. But the fact that all that stuff that Smith was into had, had, had gone, he was still relevant and still... Yeah. Um, the, the people in the new stuff were fans of his so much that they were 
yes, I'll come in and, and, and do like a really funny fart joke or I'll come and like, uh, like take the piss out of myself. Like I'm the pie fucker. <laughs> I don't remember that at all, but okay. <laughs> when they're taking, you know, when Joe, Son and Bob uh, are on Pee Wee's bike and they go through, they crash through the, the window and then it's Jason Biggs and, and James Bat- oh, yeah. Big. When they're take when the oh, police when the security yes. come and take James and Bob away, they think it's James and Bob, and it's not. It's yeah. Dawson's Creek and Pie Fucker. Yeah, yeah. So it's 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 nice to see that in that film at least he was still relevant. Yeah, which I think in terms of pop culture within film has waned. I don't think mm. his his finger is as on the pulse as he used to be. No, God no. Like at the moment, I don't know what he's doing. I just don't understand what's happened. Like, this is the weirdest career yeah. I think of anyone I've ever seen in working in kind of ho- the Hollywood area. It's like, he started out doing Clerks, this really great kind of gritty indie film. and then I've Pure just, indie as well. Yeah, and I've just finished watching Yoga Hoses and I'm just like, what? What happened? <laughs> you can't connect the dots, can you? It's, it's like he it's does... bizarre. He does like five steps forward and then about 10 steps back. Kind but, of, it's bizarre. In what... In, when you say... Five forward, ten back. In what category, though? Are we talking. I mean, it's not consistent, but but in but, terms of but like, are you talking like creatively, or are you talking like as in terms of whether someone's relevant or not, or whether someone's putting out what you consider good work? Well, it's all tied up in one thing, isn't it? I think that not necessarily. I didn't. I didn't think that Tusk or Yoga Hoses were particularly good. I thought Red State was great. I thought Zach and Miri was really disappointing. Jersey Girl was a bit was just terrible. Um, and then more rats wasn't great, but I don't know. Yeah, I just feel like he's struggling to find his voice now as a an elderly geek. Not it's not elderly, but you know, a more mature geek. He's pushing fifty, um, is he? He'll oh. be fifty. What's what's it? He's he'll be forty eight in August. Oh wow! So he's not even that old. No, he, no. I just maybe he's uh, maybe he's got that thing where he's just a bit too happy, and he's he's found his place in the in the kind of zeitgeist or whatever, and he's not being challenged creatively maybe yeah but it's like i said when he writes on the heart he's on he is, fire yeah but when he writes like oh i want to see a, a goofy tusk movie a walrus movie oh. or um yeah i want to do something with like bratsies sausage yeah. german monsters yeah it doesn't it doesn't completely hit home i don't think it's all bad and possibly with those later films i'm a bit biased because I have such a strong connection to the early ones. And also I was never much of a fan of 80s um, sort of monster movies like that. That's yeah. more your thing. So I'm surprised that you didn't like Tusk. I like but I can understand why you didn't like Jersey Girl. Yeah. Jersey Girl was like the the kind of, the bad version of the kind of film that I should and would love. So that, that kind of like... Meg Ryan, Tom Hanks, yeah, 80s rom-com. Yeah, and like family bonding and, and kind of funny hijinks and all that kind of stuff. And it just ugh, it was just like the, the worst version of that kind of film. I don't think Jersey Girl is as bad as, as it could be. I understand there's a two and a half hour cut somewhere. Oh, okay. And I think... But that doesn't make up for bad dialogue. That, no, no, but oh I, would be, I would be interested in seeing that because I think it would give... Maya and Ollie's relationship, Liv Tyler and Ben Affleck's relationship, time to breathe because suddenly at the end of Jersey Girl, he's proposing to her, and I'm like, and I'm thinking, but they haven't even been on a date. They, yeah. they, they, you know, they nearly fucked, 
and ended up getting wet in the shower because Gertie mm. flushed the toilet. Yeah, that's that was a funny scene actually. And that Gertie that was set is, up well. That she, Gertie is adorable. She is like, did they clone J Lo for this film? Because she was so good. Well, that, obviously they hired J Lo first, so thank God they did. Because yeah. without J Lo, there's no Gertie. Yeah, she was great that actress. But there's no link between those. There's no character. There's no uh, sort of characterization and, and, and narrative for those two. It just suddenly happened. So I imagine mm. in the two and a half hour cut, we'd see more of that. I guess so, but that's not the point of the film. Like, I wouldn't, I know why they would cut that out because the film isn't about his relationship with Liv Tyler. It's about his relationship with his father and with his daughter, mm-hmm. and that's that's the heart of the film. So anything else actually is just kind of window dressing. So I don't want to see a two and a half hour cut of that film. I want to see a Kevin Smith's actually good version of that film where the dialogue isn't. Ben Affleck sitting next to a baby going, Daddy really misses Mummy and Mummy shouldn't have died. But Daddy really loves you, baby. It was like, oh, good Lord. But you feel there's, like me, do you feel there's a um, sense that he's lost and he's trying to find his feet after five yeah. five films of um, View Askewniverse stuff? I do think so because the, the View Askewniverse, it was, I really started to miss it really badly in Tusk because... Oh, wow. Even like there's... There's but, many non-Viewersk Universe films in between I know, then. I know, but I just really felt it in Tusk, Tusk because I was like, this just feels so pointless. And the, you know the, the scene about 25 minutes in where Justin Long's been drugged and he's starting to fall asleep? Yeah. I was like, can I please just fall asleep now? <laughs> I would quite happily just sleep for the rest of this film. I think it was traumatizing. Well, Tusk. When he wakes up as a walrus, I actually felt quite sick. Maybe and that's the point. I really didn't like Maybe it. Maybe that is the point. Maybe it's not a message film. Maybe it's just... No, it's it, a goofy 80s-ish. It was like the human centimede. centimede? The human centipede. centipede. I've never but... seen it. <laughs> Jennifer Lopez in Jersey Girl. I didn't think she was bad. I she's... genuinely thought she's great. Jennifer Lopez is genuinely an underrated actress. And I'm really... I've always thought this, that she was so great in Out of Sight with George Clooney. She was great in that film. And then she kind of became a pop... Became a massive pop star... And her acting roles got became less of a priority for her, understandably, yeah. because you can't do both, really. Um, but when you see her in films like this, where she's just got this sparkly energy to her, and she's genuinely really funny, um, and she's believable. All, you know, she's, just got, she's a great actress. And she's like, got spunk yeah. and personality as a she character. She has, she has. And in such a short time, she dies within like, what, 10 minutes? I was really upset by that. I didn't like that at all. I was looking forward to like a good hour and a half of Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck post Jiggly. <laughs> <laughs> I never saw Jiggly. No, I didn't either. Jiggly, is it Jiggly or Gigli? Gigli. I thought it was Jiggly. No, it's not I Jiggly. Was, Jiggly always, Caliente. I just called it Jiggly. Um, anyway, no, Je- Jennifer Lopez needs to sort out her act. I know she's got a TV show at the moment where she plays a cop. Oh, I didn't know I that. Don't, has it been cancelled? I don't think it's been doing particularly well. But she's a great actress. Who else impressed me a lot in Jersey Girl is George Carlin. Is he Rufus? He, yeah, he's Rufus from Bill and Ted. Yeah, Yeah. he's Um, brilliant. He's brilliant. It's it's not it's not a comedic role. It's a dramatic role that is sometimes funny. Yeah, but he's he's so it's really subversive. His role in Dogma was subversive as well. Mm. uh, George Carlin is a out and out. Um, anti-organized religion 
guy. Mm. He's a lapsed Catholic. So to cast him as a Catholic priest is <laughs> genius stunt casting. It is so subversive. But then to take, he was Cardinal Hicks. Yeah, yeah. But did he play the guy in Red State as well? Or was that somebody else? No, no, that's Michael Parks. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so to take George Carlin again, who is not necessarily in real life the family guy or not seen as the family guy because he's so foul-mouthed and <laughs> you know he the seven words you can't say on television shit fuck bugger and all that kind of shit and then make him the head of this dysfunctional family the one holding it all together mm. he's got one hand on the back of ollie's collar and he's got one hand on on the baby uh, carrier yeah and he's you know bringing them together he's the linchpin in that family yeah he's great it's really subversive and it, and it's really it's really fucking tragic and really heartfelt where at the end he says i don't want to die alone mm. and he says it with no irony and and no comedic flair it's it's a really straight heartfelt delivery he's he is him and the the actress who played Gertie, they're brilliant in the film. Ben Affleck isn't kind of bad as an actor in the film. He's just not serviced by the material. Yeah. The character is an absolute joke. It just doesn't make any sense. Um, Which aspects? Any of it. Like, oh, it's just this really bizarre character that he's he's kind of like this absolute arsehole, like an unbelievably arsehole arsehole. Yeah. And then he kind of like... Do you feel he's more of a trope? Like he's, a, a, he's a massive he's he doesn't PR feel like a real, executive. He does not feel like a real person. And then he just suddenly makes a snap decision that he's going to move back to the city and drag his daughter with him. Yeah. And but he's selfish. He's selfish, but it just doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel like after seven years, that's how he would be or how... I just didn't believe that character at all. Yeah, I think it's a bit of a stretch that A, he hasn't had sex yeah. in seven years oh. and B, that he would suddenly still want that that, that role yeah after seven years you yeah. you kind of do the whole the whole film was so give up. like there's that scene where he suddenly gives a really inspirational speech but they couldn't be bothered to write the speech they just faded the sound out and showed him looking really happy oh what to the the crowd yeah. the, um, about the roadworks yeah the yeah. whole film was so lazy and it just it was really upsetting to go from Jane's Jane Silent Bob strike back to Jersey Girl but this, is it lazy or does it seem lazy because it is lazy writing or because they had to completely uh, scale the film down from by like at least an hour to mm. cut out a lot of the Jennifer Lopez stuff because of all the media backlash? That's why yeah. her role is diminished. Oh, really? Yeah. But she was so, always meant to die. She was always meant to die, but there might have been, there might have been stuff at, you know, the first half an hour, let's say, of... Mm pure Jennifer Lopez that meant that other stuff had to be um, included later on in the film so when they removed her that stuff came out as well huh. just from an editing point I of view I still don't see how that would to keep work it, structurally to keep it balanced so what the midpoint of the film would be her dying no not necessarily but maybe there were plot points that were now not relevant so then they get cut out later on which yeah. makes everything seem a bit lazy and a bit baggy yeah I don't know I'm just annoyed that I'm so down on that film because I really it's the idea of the film. I love the idea of the film. It's such a lovely idea. And it's, it's like, it's kind of like Big Daddy, isn't it? It's kind of like stupid, what I, oh, what stupid I remember, growing yeah, yeah. up bonding with a kid kind of yeah. thing. Like Corinna Corinna. Like there's loads of films like that. Oh God, Corinna um, Corinna with Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> <laughs> and Ted Danson. And Ted Danson. I haven't thought about yeah. that. No, that was in... No? That was in... Oh, Three Men and a Baby. 
No, no, no. Yeah, but Ted Danson and Whoopi Goldberg was the film oh, that Will Smith made in America. That's yeah. it. And Will Smith in this film. Yeah, but is... of course he came into this film because he's got a savior complex. And he would have been told that his role in this film was to come in and give an epiphany to this asshole character. <laughs> so that's the reason Will Smith did this film. I never thought about it like I'm that. I'm sorry I'm so cynical about this. No, but... it's not, it's not cynical. You're, you're making really good points. But. There's two things about that scene that I like, and one of them is only I've only realised in the last couple of years. One, I think I've always known Will Smith, when he wants to be, is a genuinely lovable, amazing actor. It's yeah. not he wasn't playing the Fresh Prince, wah, kind of big, you know, shouty like, oh, what are you going to do? Kind of character. He was playing a version of himself that's probably quite close to the real uh, Will Smith, as I imagine. It's like an idealistic version of Will Smith. Yeah. It's like everyone's everyone's idea of what he could be. <laughs> but just like a really friendly guy. And, and it's yeah. such a, a lovely dialogue interplay between the two of them. It actually is. I agree. But also, it is the very first meeting of Batman and Deadshot. <laughs> and Kevin Smith didn't even know it. <laughs> It is Batman and Deadshot oh, from Suicide Squad. Poor. And what's more? Poor guys. <laughs> <laughs> and what's more? Kevin Smith bought Batman. Uh, Batman. Kevin Smith bought uh, ben, uh, his house off Ben Affleck. So Kevin Smith lives in Wayne Manor. Holy cow. Yeah. Batman. <laughs> Holy cow, oh. Batman. Um, I, I have a really weird soft spot for Jersey Girl in the same way that I have a soft spot for Morat. I know it's a lacking film, hmm. a film that is lacking focus, but there's enough in there that I go, well, I guess for the benefit of the doubt, I can look through them and, and, and see the movie that it could have been. Yeah. Although actually I did think, I did just think of one thing that I liked about um, Jersey Girl and that's that it is kind of in the viewer skewerverse. Is it? Because when they go to the video shop, all the videos are... Miramax Like films. Scream and Men yeah, in Black. Dimension Men films, in Black, yeah. which obviously had Linda Fiorentini in. Um, oh, it did, yeah. So yeah, he does, he very cleverly links it all in there. So like, they go into the video shop twice. And the first time there's like Scream and Men in Black. And the second time there's Scream 3, which has Jay and Silent Bob in. Yes. So there's kind of like, it does kind of tie into the viewers. But also potentially they were like, this is a Miramax slash Dimension film. We have to have all our oh, titles right, in the background. Although that's an interesting point. I only, the only time I had seen or heard of Jay and Silent Bob was in 2001 or whatever it was when Scream 3 came out. And there was, and there was Jay going, look, Silent Bob is Connie fucking Chung. And I was like, <laughs> who the fuck are those guys? Everyone in the cinema is going, ho, 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 like laughing their heads off. I had no idea. This is the first relationship film Kevin Smith did since Chasing Amy and the differences are massive and I just wonder if he ever sits down to watch both of them in a in a double bill at his house or whatever and <laughs> just thinks this is who I used to be this is who I became mm. it, it, and it's only in a couple of years it's only like four five years Chasing Amy was 1997 and Jersey Girl was 2004 for that massive difference mm. that's Quite a short period of time. It feels like two different filmmakers. And it it feels like... I couldn't believe he wrote Josie Girl. It, it felt like he'd been given a script and been told to make a film. And he did. And so visually it looks like a film. And it, it's coherent and edited well. And 
you know, it has a visual style. Um, but the script is just really not good. Do you think it, it completely lacks his personality and his character? I want to know how Kevin Smith was genuinely feeling um, about being a new father and, and that relationship that he have, has with this little person that's suddenly in his house. You know, like Clerks and Clerks 2 are very much Kevin Smith, um, they're, you know, they're dialogue-driven films. So they're Kevin Smith talking about what is happening in his life at that time and how he feels about the world. And Jersey Girl does not feel like that. Jersey Girl feels like kind of somebody who had a plot idea and didn't commit to it or didn't have the time to commit to it and delivered something disappointing, I guess. Do you feel... Like, I don't feel insulted by the film. I just feel like it's such a disappointment. Do you feel that he kind of knew that and that's why he went back to the view this universe with mm. Clerks 2. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that for a fact, but it does, it could look like a reactionary move. Yeah, go back to what you know. Did you enjoy Clerks 2? Did you enjoy, A, how different it was to the first one? And do you feel that this was kind of everything that Kevin had learned up until that point? I have really mixed feelings about Clerks 2. I made the mistake of looking at the DVD box, which said, where is it? Here it is. Which says that it's hilariously hernia-inducingly funny, five stars. Well, that's people like you, reviewers, allowing their quotes to go on I know. posters. And yeah, never let it be said that you've written a review that you regret. But um, no, with Clerks 2, I felt like... I was glad to see the characters again. All of them, like yeah. Dante, Randall, Jane, Silent Bob. Yeah, I was glad to see that. Um, I was kind of, I admired Kevin Smith's audacity that he gave his wife the role where <laughs> she had to like, like disgustingly make out with yeah. Dante for about 10 minutes straight on a swing. Like that yeah. was just like, whoa, okay. You just want to watch your wife making out with somebody else. <laughs> um, that was pretty audacious. And I loved, loved, loved Jane, Silent Bob and Clerks too. They're the best thing in the film. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I will, we'll get back to my favourite thing about them because it's uh, one of the top five quotes that we're going to do. Okay. So we'll, we'll get back to that because it's brilliant and just weird and hilarious. But um, I love the ending. I love the fact that they end up just working back at the convenience store. Mm-hmm. But I just Do find... you think it was needed? No, it wasn't needed at all. Because you kind of assume that they're going to continue living their life in the convenience store anyway. Yeah. Um, I loved the, the, the guy with Asperger's. I thought he was really sweet and funny. Do you um, think he has Asperger's or is he just a little bit slow? Because I've never seen Elias other than uh, just naive. You're talking about Elias, right? Yeah. Really hot. He was very cute. Very cute. I think he was... Yeah, maybe he was just super naive, but I, it felt like he had Asperger's. He was and a I, Jesus kid. Yeah. I did find the bit where he was masturbating to the donkey really quite traumatizing. Why? It just was so tragic. And I'm so, sorry, Jesus. It was just so haunting. <laughs> like that whole, A haunted wank. That, <laughs> that whole thing with the donkey was actually worse than the, the girlfriend fucking the dead guy in Clerks, the first one. Why? I just... It was a man. I know, but it just... There was made... a flip. It, it was, what, Kinky Kelly and the sexy stuff. Yeah. And Kinky Kelly was the donkey, not and the other just, way around. I felt so sorry for the donkey. I just didn't... Oh, it just made me feel really uncomfortable. And it felt like it was doing it to shock. And Kevin Smith doesn't really do that necessarily, does he? Like, he... 
Like it just well, at the sake of narrative, yeah, I guess. Yeah, it just felt you like... You it's just in the film because wouldn't it be really shocking to have a donkey show as opposed to would it make sense within the story to have a donkey show? Yeah, it just didn't seem to make any sense. And it, it just felt like she was, he was doing it for shock value and it, it did shock me and I didn't like it. <laughs> what about the tone? It wasn't as gritty and, no. and low-fi as Clerks, but it definitely wasn't cartoony like... Uh, more rats and, and Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. So where does it kind yeah. of fit? It's more like uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, isn't it? It's kind of is it? It's more like that kind of puerile frat boy humor. It's not as funny or as clever as Strike Back, but it's. Um, but is I don't think it's I don't think it's as cartoony as that. No, it's not as cartoony, but yeah. it, it's kind of his extreme version of humor, where he kind of pushes the, he pushes the weird funny. Yeah. And it did, the thing that was weird about Clerks 2, actually, was that it was more of a narrative, whereas Clerks is the skits. It's kind of episodic skits. Yeah, but there's still skits and sections in, in Clerks 2. So but you've they're got not like, as good. They're not as good. No. They're but not they're, as tight They're, and they're very much up... It's more like updating the pop culture exactly. references. So exactly. you've got things like the Transformers being a slight against God or not being a slight against God. <laughs> That's so good. You've got the ass to mouth conversation. You've got Lord mm. of the Rings versus Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Then there's Pillow Pants, which is just fu- that is fucking weird. About the the uh, the pussy demon that Elias can't fuck his girlfriend because of the pussy pants demon in her vagina. I must have missed that one. Um, <laughs> the pickle fucker. Yeah. Porch Monkey, yeah. Kiki Kelly the Sexy Stud, and the jail cell. The jail cell scene. Um, I what, does she, what does she say? Sorry, the... the, the Wanda Sykes. No, the Porch Monkey. Yeah, what did she say that was actually really funny? All of it. I, I, th- I like, love Wanda Sykes. Thought it black or something like that. Like his, his her... No, thought it racist. Oh, well, Earthquake. Her boyfriend. Or her yeah, husband. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was funny. <laughs> I could watch Wanda Sykes all day, She's every great, day. She's yeah. brilliant. But the, the 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 scenes and the the sketches, the set pieces, are, are present again. But there's a there is a narrative linking them way more clearer than than the original Clerks. I guess in that sense, yeah. it's kind of in line with Chasing Amy, but not necessarily in tone and and, and visualness, being yeah. in writing ability. Yeah, I just. I just don't like Dante. I find him kind of just, he's the worst kind of man in Arrested Development where he's just fucking everyone over. And he's just kind of like, he's got this grand idea of who he is. And I know that this is all kind of character stuff and it's very well done. Yeah. But he's just got this grand idea of himself where he's going to leave the town and he's going to become whatever. And like, is he meant to be the failed version of Kevin Smith? Possibly, yeah. Because I think think Smith's... Because he didn't expect to be a filmmaker, did he, Kevin Smith? He just kind of... No, he locked out. I think he, he always says that, you know, thank you to the fans because otherwise I'd still be working in that convenience yeah. store. Yeah. I think I think Dante is kind of Kevin Smith's nightmare version of himself. Because he always sees himself as Randall. He wrote that Randall part oh, for really? himself. But then he no, was he like, wrote Jay for himself. No, he? no, no. He wrote Randall for himself, which oh. is why Randall has all the best lines. He said <laughs> this quite a lot. Yeah. He says he wrote Randall for himself because Randall has all the best lines. But then he realised... He can't work in the convenience store during the day, memorize all the dialogue, set up a film, direct it. So he gave himself the Bob character. The, the silent one. Um, so I think maybe in his head, he is Randall. But I think you're right. He is actually Dante or the the alternative Bizarro land version, Bizarro world 
version of Kevin Smith is Dante. He's like accidentally channeled himself into that character without even realising it. Which is why he's such a frustrating character. He's so unself-aware. And I hate characters like that. They drive me nuts. So you feel there's no characterization development from Clerks to Clerks 2 well, in is... terms of how Dante is? Not until the end, because that's when he has his fall from grace and he kind of has to accept that he's going to run a convenience store for the rest of his life with Randall. Yeah. But no, he was just basically like a doughier version <laughs> of that guy from 1994. Do you identify more with Dante or Randall? Um... Probably Randall. I'd like to think that I'd be more Randall than Dante. Just kind of like just talking shit and <laughs> accepting where you are in your in your place in life. And don't have these ridiculous kind of um kind of fantasies. Delusions of delusions, these fantasies that Yeah. I mean I'm sure that a lot of people are that way and you know when does, it, when does it go from being a fantasy and a dream to being a delusion? I suppose you rely on the people around you to kind of draw that definition for you. But It's strange with Randall because sometimes he can be, you know, if someone bitches at him, yeah, it's like he's very thick skin. He doesn't give a shit that the customers hate him. He can wind up that woman in the first film by saying, you know, I'm going to rent that videotape and then he comes and unlocks the door, you know, when he plays that trick. Or... Um, when he's reading out all the porn names and mm. then throws in, oh, what was it that you wanted for your kid? So he, he's very thick-skinned. But then with Picklefucker, it got to him. Mm. So I wonder if he, at the baseline, is the same as Dante, really unhappy with his station in life because mm. he feels he's above the customers, but Picklefucker got out of the town and is an internet millionaire or a tech <laughs> billionaire, whatever. So he's not above him. He mm. understands his station. Yeah. So with Clerks 2, that obviously brought Venus Universe to a close for the second time. Are you surprised that he then went on to do something like Zack and Miri, which to me isn't a Kevin Smith film? It's like he was. With Jersey Girl, he realized maybe he doesn't have a voice outside of his Venus Universe films. So he fell back on Clerks 2. But then after that, he still didn't find a voice. It was. It was like he was trying to replicate the Apatow formula. Yeah, that's true, actually. Yeah, that's actually hit the nail on the head slightly. I'm trying to figure out what the heck Zachary actually is. And it, I think you're right. It's kind of, it's more a Seth Rogen film than it is a, a Kevin Smith film. And it doesn't, it does seem to be trying to squash itself into that kind of cookie cutter version of a, a Judd Apatow film. And it almost wants to be like, like a when Harry, when Harry Met Sally, but like a kind of a an edgy porn version of that film. Yeah. Where it's like, can we have sex and be friends? That kind of thing. I was annoyed because I really actually got drawn into Zach and Miri for the first half an hour. I think because I loved this, I loved this little kind of sad, but kind of weirdly optimistic world where these two characters um, played by Elizabeth Banks and Seth Rogen, they are Zach and Miri, or Miri and Zach. They're kind of like, they're survivors and they're, they're, they're pushing their way through life. And um, I, I liked that. Dante and Randall. That's true. <laughs> oh God, that's just, they're just like another Dante and Randall. Yeah, this is, this is Clerks 3. Maybe, yeah, but, yeah possibly. This is, I thought this, yeah, this could have worked as, as 
Clerks <laughs> 3. Yeah. But much in the same way that Spielberg has, by and large, made the same film over and over and over uh, again to deal with the fact that his parents divorced. Yeah. And Kubrick made the same film over and over and over again <clears throat> because he has such a disdain for authorities. Maybe Kevin Smith has been making the same film over and over again like about s- non-starters. Sluggers. Yeah. yeah. Sluggers. I mean, <laughs> Slackers is such a... Such a 90s term, and it, it, it's almost like a genre of itself. But if you really break it down, it's just people who can't get their act together for mm. whatever reason, and they are kind of sort of crushed down by societal yeah. expectations of like, what it is, what it means to be successful. And like desperate measures. Yeah. So, like, the desperate measures for Dante are, are kind of um, ridiculously. Um, short-lived and delusional romances yeah and kind of delusions of grandeur like studying uh what was it japanese or something no they went they went they they went to study criminology who were we batman (laughs) (laughs) which is something kevin smith and his friend brian johnson did anyway yeah really yeah or maybe walter flanagan who runs his comic book shop but the fact that he wrote it into the script that they did that just shows the delusions yeah but and you kind of have to feel for Zach and Mary because they go to their tenth anniversary. Yeah, it's very, it's very, disco. Um, it's very Romy and Michelle's high school reunion, from what I remember. Which is like them trying. They're like, oh, we made up post its, and they decide that to seem impressive, they have to create create this not particularly clever lie <laughs> about what they've been doing for the past ten years. And Zach and Mary are kind of in a similar situation where they haven't really achieved much. Well, anything they, they yeah. it's it's really tragic yeah it is <laughs> but that scene is the funniest scene in the entire film which one when they're at, when they're at that reunion it's just really yes it's really sharp and tragic like if the entire film had been zach and miri go to the high school reunion i would have loved that justin long is a revelation He's really good in it. In that scene. And the fact that... How does he weirdly manage to look like he's had plastic surgery when he clearly hasn't? I don't know. Is it like the way he's pursing his top lip or something? He's doing like the gay lip or something. I don't know. Possibly. (laughs) I'd like to see more of him Mm, in comedic roles. I think he's he's wonderful. Mm. Um, And I love the fact that Brandon Ruth... Is it Brandon Ruth? Brandon Ralph? Mm. Almost... He he plays pretty much against type. Yeah. They have... He's a gay jock. They have zero chemistry. But I love the idea of that. Yeah. So that kind of that kind of balances out the fact that they clearly have never had sex. <laughs> but also, it, it harks back to the 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 the, the gay balance in mm. Chasing Amy. You have Hooper X and Banksy. Mm-hmm. You have Justin Long's camp fay porn star character and just uh, what's his name brandon, brandon routh superman just call him superman Superman. you have superman oh he plays the atom now doesn't he in um oh in, in legends of tomorrow yeah yeah so you have justin long's camp guy and the atoms kind of you know jock yeah cisgendered white male mm. um and that's one of the funniest bits when elizabeth banks is really trying to impress him because she thinks that he's like <laughs> the straight jock from high school and she says something like Oh, do you want to get me a fuck? Or do you want to just like fuck me? <laughs> and just sort of laughs it off. And she yeah. just completely plays that so brilliantly. I love her a lot. She's so good. Yeah. But the actress as well, but I like that character. But I was really impressed at how she has no money and no water. And yet her hair was so beautiful for the entire film. Hey, we can't all do it. <laughs> Look at mine. We can't I know, all I'm just do jealous, it. but whatever. <laughs> it doesn't sound 
like a Kevin Smith film. I don't think that... It's too on the nose. Well, not even that. It's just like the flow of the dialogue doesn't sound like Mm. old Kevin Smith. You think no. you think that's his. He's. I've always seen him as a as, as a writer who just happens to direct his own films. I think he describes himself as that as well. So if he's not writing in his old style, or if he's not writing in a a uh, a style that is um, indicative of his characteristics, then what's he bringing? Mm. What character? What characterization of himself is he bringing to the work? It gets worse in Cop Out because he he wasn't a writer on that film at all. Yeah. The only Kevin Smith aspects in this film are obviously two of the cast members he's worked with them before, but also yeah. the smuttiness. Yeah. And the pop but, culture references, but in terms of hearing the dialogues, remember I said before, if you shut mm. your eyes, you can hear. Hearing the dialogue, it doesn't sound like a Kev Smith film. No, no, that's why it's just kind of flat. I think the only character who feels like a, a Kevin Smith film is Craig Robinson because it's saying something. Like he's kind of, like the jokes about Black Friday are very Kevin Smith jokes, I think, where mm. he's kind of playing with words and he's playing with um, kind of um, prejudices and ideas about identity. And so when Craig Robinson's kind of saying, I'm not going to work Black Friday, how dare you, you know, kind of thing. That's actually really funny. And that's Fuck very, you. That's very, yeah, and that, and that guy as well. I hit you two assholes. It's really funny. So that's that's Kevin Smith, but the rest of it is just a bit like, meh. I love the porn titles. Oh, that was funny. That was that was really good. I, I had to pause to write them down. Go on then. Um, Edward Penis Hands. <laughs> that, was so, that was the worst one. And American Werewolf in Brenda. <laughs> uh, Fuckback Mountain. Yeah. This is genius. Is that when he said too soon? Yeah, too soon. Yeah. But this is genius. A cock in lips now. <laughs> That's genius. Lawrence of Arabia, Dawn of the Dick, Close Encounters with the Turd from Behind. That was so <laughs> awful. Star Sex 2, The Wrath of Cunt. Oh, God. You can't say the C word. Star Sex 3, The Search for Cock. Yeah. Co-Cunt. That was funny. Uh, invasion of the Potty Snatchers. <laughs> and then obviously there's Star Horse, so yeah. you've got Princess Leia. Lubed Guy Baller and Sky Baller, Hung So Low, On Your Knees Bend Over, I See You Pee. <laughs> that was the best one. R2 Teabag, Darth <laughs> Vibrator. Uh, then they teabag, went, R2 Teabag sounds so innocent and tweet. It really does, but it is not. <laughs> then there's The Empire Strikes Ass, Return of the Brown Eye. That's <laughs> The Phantom Man Ass. <laughs> I love this one. Revenge of the Shit, the all anal final chapter, oh which Craig God. Robinson delivers oh. so passionately, like this is my yeah. this is my ecstasy. Oh. Um and then later on he's like, Swallow swallow my cockachino. That's my Seth Rogan. <laughs> I thought that was your Al Pacino. <laughs> Did you connect with Cop Out in any way, shape, or form? Um Cop Out do you know what? The, th- the main thing I remember about Cop Out when it came out at the time was that they were supposed to call it a couple of dicks and they weren't allowed. Yes. So they had to change the title. Mm. Um, but Cop Out kind of... I copped out of Cop Out about within the first 10, 15 minutes because Tracy Morgan screaming his head off. I just don't find it funny. I just find it really irritating. And in 30 Rock, they used him very, very well. And he was incredibly funny in that show. Just kind of playing this bumbling buffoon with a massive paycheck whereas with cop out he's just shouting a lot 
And I really find that annoying. And so I just, I was glad when that stopped and we could actually get into the storyline. But do you feel he was shouting a lot, not because he was shouting a lot, but because the other guy, the late Bruce Willis, was just so <laughs> dead? Uh, I don't know. Well, no, because the bit that, that was really annoying to me was when uh, Tracy Morgan was acting out supposedly all those lines when he was interrogating the guy and pretending to be a escaped convict or yeah. something. That just really gave me such a headache. Um, Do you think they were trying to get that 48 hours uh, yeah. Eddie Murphy and Nick Nolte thing yeah. going on? It was very much kind of Kevin Smith's version of Lethal Weapon. Yeah. But I just didn't care again. Like it was just kind of very competently directed in terms of the editing was, was you know, good. And I thought the action was pretty well handled. But oh, it was just... There's no personality there, is there? It was just nothing. It was just kind of this empty space where there should have been a Kevin Smith version of a crime thriller. Yes. If if he's not writing, and that's where his personality shines through in his ideas and his scripts in his previous films. If he's not writing and he's not a visual director, what's he bringing to the equation? Do you know what's interesting? I've got notes on every single film in my notes, apart from Cop Out. <laughs> you just couldn't think of I just anything. Didn't think of, I just didn't think of a single <laughs> thing to say. But, but no, you're right. And do you know, is it because he's, is he just spread too thinly now to, um, to commit to writing scripts and then directing them? Has he got too much other fun stuff going on? I don't know. I don't I know. know. He, I th- he's a personality, so he does things like Comic-Con and he interviews people and he does podcasts and he does all this kind of... Yeah, I guess he does do a lot, but at the time, he only had one podcast going on at the time Mm, of Cop Out. Yeah. But I just wonder if he was still struggling to find his feet and saw going in as a director for hire as either A, easy money, or B, I haven't got a voice anymore. Maybe. Do you know what I can't believe is that Clerks was only, in Vertical, is 1994. So all of these films up to now so yoga hose was 2016 that's only like just over 20 years yeah 24 years since he made clerks yeah it's pretty unbelievable for that career yeah to cram that much diversity because with with kevin smith you feel like you never know what you're going to get next yeah if i so i watched jane son and bob strike back loved it and i was like okay jersey girl is obviously going to be amazing because that's meant to be kind of like a funny kind of thing as well and it wasn't good and then he kind of he seems to f- you see, he's one of those directors who really does try all the genres. Yeah. Like now that he's done horror as well, he really has. He hasn't really done crime. Like Cop Out is kind of crime, but not really. It's not about, I don't see it as a Kevin Smith film. No. He's directed it, but no, it doesn't count because he no. hasn't written it. Yeah. One thing that I did like about Cop Out, traditionally Kevin would always say, stick to the script. Stick to the script. But here, he's allowing his actors to improvise. And it either falls flat on its ass, like that opening scene where Tracy Morgan's doing all the movie quotes and does the yippee Kaye motherfucker and the late Bruce Willis goes, I don't know that one. Or, it's wonderful. Sean William Scott is a revelation in this movie. <laughs> he's he's really... so fucking funny. He is. Actually, no, he started, I think, in, in Zack and Mary. That the Justin Long is clearly uh, riffing back and forth with Seth Rogen. Mm. That must be improvised because it 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 feels it feels improvised. Yeah. And then the car scenes here, where like knock knock, nope, that was nope, funny. Nope. 
Nope. Hell no. That's funny. That was good. Yeah. That is. If you take that out of that, that scene, that's another one of those little things that could become its own little, you know, f- short film that does really well at festivals. Yeah. Um, but then other times in later films, like, it's almost like he's scared to say, oh, no, 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 actor, s- stop, calm down, uh-huh. calm down. <laughs> and the one person I'm thinking of is Johnny Depp as um, Guy Lepoint or yeah. Guy Lepoint. He has, all, he has no point. <laughs> he has no point. But he also, Kevin Smith, I, I feel that he doesn't, he doesn't want to say to the world's greatest actor of his generation, I want you to do it like this. Mm-hmm. No, do it like this. I think he liked him doing that because he put him in another film. He did put him in another film. And he's film. going to put him in the freaking third one as well, isn't he? Moose Jaws. I actually, Moose Jaws. I actually think that Gila Point works better in Yoga Hoses than he does in Tusk. Yeah, because Yoga Hoses has that cartoony Scott Pilgrim kind of feel to it. That's it. Scott yeah. Pilgrim. That's, yes, that's the tone. Yeah. Whereas Tusk wants to be kind of a monster movie and then it throws this weird prosthetic detective into it as well. It's just odd. I actually I completely d- phased out that entire segment well, there's like a, is there a flashback to the... There's a flashback, yeah. Oh my God. I don't mind elements of Tusk. I love Michael Parks. I love yeah. him recounting the tale. I love him singing It's a Bitsy Spider. I love him on the other end of that very long table laughing and mocking Justin Long. I could watch Parks mm. all day, every day. He's a great actor. He's a great actor. And he's, he's like fierce in um, Red State. Parks is able to take those long passages of classic traditional Kevin Smith dialogue mm. and make it operatic, make yeah. it sing. Yeah, he was the best thing in Tusk. What was with Haley Joel Osment? <laughs> yeah, where did he come from? Just as a podcaster. I felt the podcasting stuff in Tusk kind of that was like Kevin Smith's version of the convenience store. Like him drawing from his real life work or his real life experiences. But yeah. it, it felt kind of there's something kind of weirdly tragic about like trying to be cool or like it felt exclusive like it was excluding people rather than including them i don't know i just i found the podcasting thing excruciating and i know the film had its origins from his podcast yeah fine but it's just uh, i just i don't know just something about it really annoyed me (laughs) but there might be an element in that there might be an element of truth because i kind of feel at this stage in kevin smith's career he's not trying to aim for a new audience mm. i think he got bitten by that with zach and miri and cop out yeah so the great thing about him going to red state and going full indie again no studio backing going out finding the money himself mm. is that he's not interested in finding a new audience he knows who his audience is and he just plays to them mm. hence red state tusk yoga hoses and soon jane signed the bob reboot yeah, yeah, which I'm excited about. Yeah, if he can, yeah. if he can, if he can do it, capture that 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 late '90s magic again. Yeah, but is it actually a reboot in terms of they're going to get young Jay and Silent Bob, like new versions of them? No, no, I think it's him and Jay again right. reprising the role, and it's a reboot of the comic. It's a reboot of the movie series in the movie series. <laughs> okay, so it's the crum- it's the Blunt oh, the man. Chronic. Um, yeah. And it's going to be a pastiche or a um, a, a sideways look at this uh, franchise IP and reboot culture that has mm. gone through Hollywood in the last 10 years. But um, I'm actually really grateful for Red State 
because even though on the surface it doesn't look like a Kevin Smith film, I think it's the most Kevin Smith film since what, like Dogma? Probably Dogma. It yeah. feels like. Well, I mean, obviously, Joe and Silent Bob Strike Back, but Dogma and Red State feel like they are. Well, I mean, they're both about faith and religion and that kind of religious insanity um, or religious divinity as well. You know, that's what Dogma's about. But um, yeah, Red State maybe kind of go, oh, okay, thank fuck, like Kevin Smith. I mean, the film isn't perfect, but it's just this kind of like short, sharp shock where it's like 88 minutes or something. It's angry as fuck. It's so angry. It feels like Kevin Smith ripping his heart out and just kind of going, look what you've done to America, and just really upset. It comes from his heart. Yeah, it does. It's not him going, oh, I want to make this film because it'll be really cool if... It's him going, I need to make this film. Yeah. This is a, a passion. It's, it's, it's him re... You know, him, him reclaiming his indie roots. First, first time being pure indie since Clerks. Mm. And him going... I'm angry about something. Mm. I've I've got an experience now. I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. Exactly. And he wants to put it out there in the world. Yeah. And it's gold. This feels like something that Smith has never done, but also that he's always done. So it's kind of like he's never done this really gritty, grubby action, shootout, kind of religious fever kind of film. But at the same time, it feels like his mouthpiece, a mouthpiece for how he's feeling. And that's, what I've missed ever since, what, like... Dogma. Since Dogma and since yeah. Jane and Bob Strike Back. Because even though it's silly, at least it's Kevin Smith. Yeah. So how do you feel yeah. about the the jump from Red State to Tusk? Tusk, I really didn't like. At all? I just hated that. I pretty much hated it from start to finish. I don't know. I just didn't understand the casual racism against Canadians. I thought that was really <laughs> odd. Yeah. I was like, is, is Kevin Smith actually Canadian? Because if he's not, this is bad. No, he loves Canada. Canadian. And I think what he was trying to do was not wanting us to sympathise with Justin Long, which no, is a right. bizarre thing to do because in, in a film like that, surely you want us to sympathise with the, the guy who's about to have his life taken away from him. Yeah, with the victim. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, I think that's probably the only explanation. But then, But then he continued with his Canadian theme i guess setting. true north trilogy yeah the true north thing it with yoga hoses and it just like he it's almost like he wrote the script trying to find as many ways for them to say a boot yeah and, and Ye- what's the other word they say like oot or sorry huh sorry 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 uh, yeah. yoga hoses i think it could have been so much better yeah. and i think kevin smith has done better than yoga hoses. I think there's a, there's a lot of positive aspects to yoga hoses. I think having two female leads is brilliant. And they're great. Like, even though there's that kind of nepotistic thing of, oh, for goodness sake, he, he cast his wife in all those films, and now he's casting his daughter for fun. And so. Johnny Depp's daughter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But actually, they're really good, especially Kevin Smith's daughter, Harley Quinn. I think yes. she's really good. Yes. And she's the reason that, um, Lily Rose Depp whatever her name is Lily something Depp Lily Rose something Depp yeah. yeah that's the reason she's in the film because she was like why can't my mate be in it as well so that's yes. why they're in it together and they're actually really compelling and really kind of fun but it's want to be built around the, the level that they the level of energy yeah. that they have but yeah. it, it is it has the 
It has the potential to be a really fun movie. I think if it was just stripped back, the scene where they're fighting the brat the bratwurst yeah. in the convenience store, yeah. that's the climax of the film. Yeah. Everything should be building towards that. You're right. It should have been a restricted space film. Yeah, you're right. It should have been the the horror version of Clerks. Yeah. Everything should have taken place in the convenience store almost like a spooky house what's going on there why is the fridge got blood coming out of it mm. now why are the why is the popcorn over there on the shelf exploding mm. and it took too long to get to a point yeah if there's two instances of um, exposition explaining uh-huh. the lesson yeah. and then ralph garbin at the end playing the 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 cryogenetically frozen uh german yeah. why couldn't have that been part of the film yeah show us you know, a pre-credit sequence where that happens, then it's a, a callback for later on. And that whole lesson, I was just really confused because I was like, well, the scene's here for a reason. It must be setting something up. Yeah. But it's still really irritating to have a good 10-minute lesson at the start. You know, what, what is the first act of the film where you kind of want to get to learn, know the characters and see what their world is like? And yet everything is put on pause for this really annoying um exposition flashback where you yeah. just want to get Haley Joel Osment being racist in Canada. Just if they just had less time of them singing, which is really mm. self indulgent for, for Smith to watch. I know he's yeah. he's obviously very proud of the fact yeah. that the kids can sing and his daughter can play bass and, and can sing. But you've got to kill your darling. Strip mm. it back. And I didn't need two that sound I didn't need two songs. The when they were like lip syncing to the song, it was just they clearly weren't singing live, and I hate that so much. It just really gets on my nerves. Um, why is he suddenly really obsessed with Nazis? It's a character riff from one of his podcasts. Right. So there's a lot of podcast references in yeah. in the films. Again, Yoga Hoses came yeah. from a podcast. Uh-huh. Just the, the name. Because um, Hoses, I had no idea what that word meant. I until. don't know. There's no reference to it in the... In the film, really, they call them. I mean, they Stan Lee them. says it. They all do. Damn yoga hoses. Yeah. Excelsior. But it's a Canadian slang word. It's, is it? Yeah. It, oh. it means like kind of idiot or fool. I had no idea. Yeah. Hoser means a foolish or uncultivated person. But they should have made more of the yoga stuff. <laughs> the yoga stuff was. I actually quite liked it in that fight when it was like pow, namaste, and like all that stuff. The, the names ridiculous. that Justin Long was coming up with, like oh, yeah. dissatisfied customer, pretentious frog, uh, yoga fat, lasers from the wrist, lasers from the wrist. That was very ingenious. That I was like, like old Kev. And I liked how he was called um, Yogi Bayer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's like old Kev coming through. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not connecting personally with with the Tusk and the Yoga Hoses movies. Mm. Maybe that's because I'm a diehard Smith fan from back in the day. Mm. I would imagine that if kids... I mean, Yoga Hoses is a kid's film. It has a, has yeah. a 15 certificate. It shouldn't. It should be a 12A. I agree. Because even when they kill the little Nazi things, they explode with mustard. So it's not like they're... It's particularly it's gory. Not, yeah, and it's like a... A dumb little it looks like, sausage monster. Yeah, and that huge hockey mask thing looks like something out of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah, I mean, it barely moves. Movie. Yeah. Like, I don't I don't get where that certificate comes from. Ready Player One had Probably a language. fuck. I don't think there was any swearing in it. Ready Player One had a fuck. Mm. And actual death. 
<laughs> peril. Yeah. And, and it got a 12A. Uh, Infinity War had loads of shit, mm. loads, a couple of bastards. Stabbings. And stabbings and, and actual blood. Yeah. And got a 12A. So I mm. don't understand why this has been slapped with a 15. It's That's going to stop the core audience. It's, it's made for tweens. Yeah. It's made for little girls. Yeah, it is like 12 13 year olds and i would yeah. imagine if i was a 12 year old girl which inside i am god forbid if i was a 12 year old girl i would love seeing something like this if yeah. i just happened to catch it on like sky one is that on, on a like, sunday night or something is that because you're so basic <laughs> so, so basic. basic but it really does speak into that that new you know social media yeah. savvy generation Z. Uh, society that these yeah. kids are living in they're always on their phones i loved the the like insta chat thing. yeah the, with all that the, the colors and the hashtags and it was like and, you leaned in to see what all the hashtags were yeah yeah, yeah. that was that was that was really genius and i yeah. hope that was kevin smith coming up with that not someone else saying it might have been his daughter it might have been his daughter but that's a really genius thing to put in that really gives it its own style in the way that Clerks and Chase and Amy have their own style. Mm. It's not a visual style in the traditional sense of, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson has a visual style. Mm. But that's something Kevin Smith can own and run with. Yeah. Yoga Hoses was, like, good fun, fine. Yeah. And it felt like a move in a better direction than Tusk. Yes. Is that... And no, because... Yoga Hoses is a terrible, terrible script in the sense that yeah. there's no structure. It's almost like Morats. There's no focus and there's a lot of great ideas. I mean, mm. genuinely great ideas like Nazis in Canada, satanic frat boys, uh, the idea of the girls. They're on the, they're on the cusp of womanhood. I thought mm. maybe that was going to be a, 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 a thread, but mm. it was stopped short. But that, that's a really interesting thing that this is happening as they are getting involved with guys mm. um insecure the insecure nazi who cryogenetically froze himself <laughs> that's a really because nazis are always seen as very we will take off the world but if you have a a an insecure nazi then there's a lot of almost woody allen-esque play yeah. there yeah yeah uh, and mel brooks and maybe charlie chaplin as well mm. um the little Brat vs. Nazis, they were adorable, especially when like <laughs> and when he was like riffing bye. on riffing up riffing on um uh Friday the thirteenth, we're going yuck, 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 yuck. <laughs> And that's Smith playing that role and it's hilarious. Is it? Yeah, that's no Smith. Way. Do you not know? <laughs> Oh my god! How could I was you like, not? who's that little mustachioed man? <laughs> but it's such a such a really sweet genius scary but not scary portrayal of a monster yeah. in a goofy movie it was a horrible idea that it goes up your bum and goes comes up out the your bum mouth and what's that what's that script like um like get out of my bum <laughs> so there's a lot there's a lot of cool stuff in that film i just yeah. don't think it's focused it's like morats a lot yeah. of cool ideas no focus he needs to go back to like angry america i think he needs to go back to he's going back and he's going to tv Oh, he's done a lot in, like, Supergirl and The Flash. But he's doing Maul Bratz. No, he isn't. Is he not? No. He says he's So, Maul Bratz um, fell apart. They couldn't get a buyer. Oh. It would have been a sequel to, to Maul Bratz. He had this series called Hit Something mm. about... set over, like, 30 or 40 years, I think, um, to do with hockey. 
right. and the relationship of people in that. And it sounded yeah. really cool, but they just couldn't get it huh. bought. Um, Come on, Netflix. It's just a shame that... Like, if he had died, yeah, I know. Yoga Hoses would be the final film. Yeah. And when you look at it, you go, well, the guy that made Clerks, Chase and Amy, Dogma, Red State, mm. also made Tusk and Yoga Hoses. Yeah. And as a creative... I don't think either one of us would ever say to another creative, no, you cannot do the thing that you want oh, yeah. to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would never want to be that person. But as a fan, yes, I would personally like something that connects me back to the vibe of Clerks, mm. Chasing Amy or Dogma. And it doesn't have to be that world or but those characters. But can you do it? Because you look at filmmakers like Steven Spielberg and even they are struggling to make films that, even come close to the kind of the magic of their early work. I think that a lot of filmmakers and storytellers are more successful in their early career because they're relatable then. They, they have relatable issues and problems and, and lives. And as soon as they become successful and they start to live in big houses and they don't commute to work anymore and they kind of live a more luxurious lifestyle they lose that spark of yeah. relatability. He doesn't work in a convenience store. Right. He doesn't have, you know, insecurities sure got, he about... He lives in Batman's house, He, for he God's lives, sake. In, lives in fucking Wayne Manor, but he doesn't have... That's what he should be making a film about. Things like that, where he's like, you know, a, a fan attaining his dream of living in Batman's house. Like, something like that. Yeah. Something that feels more like him and something that's exciting and something that's almost a little bit kind of... Um, oh, what's the word? Like humble. That is kind of like, this is where I am, but fucking hell, look at it. It's insane. It could be almost Altman-esque. Almost what? Robert Altman-esque. Yeah. Like, looking oh, like, at the grandness, yeah, yeah, yeah. but, but really picking of, it apart. Yeah, exactly. Because he doesn't... If anyone at, can do that, it's him, because it, he's it lived him, in yeah. this culture for two decades. He is the face of the culture. Mm. That's what he's become. He doesn't work in the convenience store. He doesn't have sexual hangouts because he's got a wife that he loves and he's been married to for 20 years. Yeah. He, you know, he is a father. We've seen that movie. And he's exercised his anxiety and his fears and his opinions about his religion through two movies. Mm. Is he going to make a film about his experience of nearly dying, you know, because of... Uh, what a health condition a heart attack right or something no yeah a um the the main artery i don't know what it's called right 100 blocked so is he going to make a film called 100 blocked and is he going to make that film and is it going to be jersey girl or is it going to be chasing amy is it going to be you know a really crass sentimental um kind of examination of mortality but in a really schmaltzy awful way or is it going to be about mortality and you know what it means to him and and his experience of life and that would be maybe chasing amy or dogma or something like that i think maybe he's moved on maybe he just wants to you know he'll, he'll take those experiences and they will become talking points on the podcasts right so he's got and, different outlets for these things now yeah and talking points on the q a tours that he does and the the, the stand-up specials mm. on you know like showtime or whatever or the dvds maybe it is the fact that he, you know, as a as a young artist, film was his only outlet. And yeah. over the past 10, 12 years, film has taken the back seat and the podcasting is the moneymaker. That's where mm. the creative outlet goes to. And he was hungry back then. 
yeah probably literally and creatively yeah <laughs> and so now he's he's probably never hungry yeah maybe he's got access to, to, to like you know he got tusk and yoga hoses made so he's got access to money mm. but that's only gonna last for so long you know even the well they mo- made their money back did they red state made its money back before it hit uh you know general release he mm. went on tour with it tusk made its money back before i think it hit theaters or it made its money back yeah, it must have made mm. the, his money back before it hit theatres. I think he sold all the, you know, the international mm. sales or whatever. Well, I mean, that's a good thing if if he's able to make more films that feel more personal and more like a Kevin Smith film. Mm. You know, I'm glad that he has made that money back because he's not, you know, he deserves success and he does deserve his success, definitely. And it's just a shame that it's all gone a bit haywire. And it has for, been for about 10 years. For us, yeah. I mean, if he's happy doing... Mm. these films but i can't i don't know maybe he just looks back and goes that's who i was as a kid this is who i am as a big kid yeah it's almost like the reverse of dante and randall it wasn't a case of false starts and failures as as a kid because his film career was so amazing that's happened in the latter half Mm. that's where the arrested development has happened he doesn't seem to be developing as a an artist maybe he's, he's reached, just making he's peak smith peak smith with dogma maybe yeah he's peaked and he's just kind of now just existing yeah. or living he's just pretty living his life and probably living a very good life living his woke life yeah. but that being said his podcasts are brilliant i mm. love his podcast i love fat man and batman i love smodcast i love it when he's he's got a really great interview style mm. which is what on my other podcast shoot first talk later my interview style is kind of based on his and brett easton ellis without kevin smith's podcasts there is no torn stubs and there is no shoot first talk later which is your favorite dogma is it hands Mm. down dogma i've always 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 loved dogma yeah and that was the first one to come out after i've gone into him excuse me (laughs) hashtag what (laughs) (laughs) So when I got into him, um, Clerks, Morax and Chase Namey had already been released. Yeah. I had them all on VHS. Yeah. What was yours? Right. Oh, God. Um, I really, really enjoyed Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. I really enjoyed it. I wasn't expecting to. Well, I did. But um, maybe it was Chasing Amy. Because it just felt like such a different film for him. And it felt so mature and interesting and just felt... Like it had this laser focus on exactly what he wanted to say and achieve. So let's talk about quotes. All right. Let's talk about quotes. We've both compiled our top five favorites, Kevin Smith quotes. Okay. So you do your fifth one first. It's from Yoga Hoses. Okay. And surprisingly, I know it's weird. And it's Colleen, one of the Colleen's mums giving her advice and she gives her a knife and she says, she's my date knife. <laughs> Which is just, I think I that's, Jen, that's, that's Jen Schwalbach. That's oh, is it her again? Wife. Oh, there you yeah. go. Uh, well, he so, gave her the best line in the film, so. <laughs> uh, mine is from Jane Sound Bob Strike Back. Uh, Chris Rock as Chucker, the director, goes, taste the booger flavour. <laughs> number four Gorgeous. for you. All right, my number four is also from Jen Sound Bob Strike Back. Yeah. And it's Jay, and he says, what the fuck is the internet? <laughs> I've got that as my second. Uh. <laughs> what the fuck is the internet? They'd be this like, like those fucking Jane Silent Bob's. Oh, I want to suck your dick off. 
from 2001. They've been on the internet for years. <laughs> but that's the joke. Yeah, I know. That's why I love it. Um, my number four actually comes from two movies. It comes from Tusk and Yoga Hoses. I really like it and I hope it's in Moose Jaws. It's where Justin Long says it and also Harley Quinn says it as uh, Colleen M. I don't want to die in Canada. Oh, yeah. That I really good. like that. That's that's. It's almost got the same as like, um, I have a bad feeling about this. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to die in Canada. Uh, number three? Uh, is from Chasing Amy. Yeah. And it's Dwight Ewell. And he says, what is it about a gay men that terrifies the world? And it's so true. Oh, God. <laughs> Does he say that in the record store? Yeah. Keep an eye on the white man. Yeah, exactly. Uh, my number three is no pleasure, no rapture, no exquisite sin greater than central air. And that's Azriel from Dogma. Oh, yeah. Your number two? Is bizarrely from Zach and Miri. Um, and it's at the... The, the reunion the disco. yeah and they go and Zach and Miri go up to the bar and Zach says can I get two beers please and he turns to Miri and says you want a beer and she says yeah and he goes can I get three beers yeah. please it's <laughs> <laughs> so funny I fucking love that uh, so my number two was what the fuck is the internet uh, yours your number two my number one is just one word and it's from Clerks 2 and it's Jay going oh and it's when Silent Bob puts on the music from Silence of the Lambs, oh, Goodbye yes. Horses. And he does it throughout the film. Goes, oh, and just puts on his chapstick and just starts dancing. Would you fuck me? <laughs> I'd fuck me. It's so random. Why do they do that? But it's brilliant. My number one, my girlfriend sucked 37 dicks in a row. <laughs> it's brilliant. Which film is that? That's from Clerks. Oh, yeah. So that was our Kevin Smith special, our episode 37. 12 films, all directed by one man. Thank you, Kevin Smith. Thank you, Kevin Smith. Tiger. That's what his mum calls him. Oh, <laughs> thanks, really Tiger. <laughs> Have you watched all of Kevin Smith's films? Have you watched them all in one go like I did? Like a crazy person? Then let us know. We're on Twitter, at TormStubsPod. If you like what we do, jump onto iTunes. Give us a review and give us a rate. And if you like film... TV, music, and culture, head to movetotrash.co.uk. While we're here, you might as well talk about your new book. I've got a new book. It's called Vicious Rumor, and it's about a teenage girl who believes that she's cursed because her mother was a mob assassin in the 90s. And it's out now, so go grab yourself a copy. In all good bookstores, or where is it? I think it's in bookstores. If it's not, go in and request it. They will order it in for you, and it's definitely on Amazon, so check out Amazon. Cool. In physical form or just Kindle? No, it's in physical form as well. You can hug it and love it and take it to bed with you. And you get the Kindle for 99p, right? Yeah. But you'd rather they buy the... uh... (laughs) (laughs) It is entirely up to you. We're off to find out what the fuck is the internet. Until next time, I remain Robert Gershenson. I'm Joshua Winning. Cut.